Tonight's episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by Spotify, which has the best podcast listening experience around. Change your speeds. Check out their awesome charts. Discover new podcasts only on Spotify. We're also brought to you by Fargo. Family as complicated crime is organized. The all-new Fargo takes you to 1950s Kansas City, where two criminal syndicates have struck an uneasy truce as they both fight for their piece of the American dream. It's a new installment of Fargo. It stars Chris Rock. Wow and Jason Schwartzman, and it airs Sundays at 10 p.m. on FX. It's streaming now on FX on Hulu. We're also brought to you by Bacardi Spice Rum, which is a key ingredient to the delicious Bacardi Spice Dark and Stormy. Bacardi Spice Rum, ginger beer, lime. That's it. Enjoy. Easy to make, delicious. It will elevate your game day during all of the great games we have coming up. Toast to your favorite team. Toast to this brand new spiced Rum. I know I'm going to have one of these at some point during the next few days. Bacardi, do what moves you. Drink responsibly. Bacardi USA. Coral Gables, Florida. Rum with natural flavors and spices. 35% alcohol by volume. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network and theringer.com. We have a couple things for you in store. After game one of the NBA Finals, the Ringer NBA show will be going live basically right after. I think it'll be on Twitter and we'll be running the podcast on Ringer NBA as well. And then I am bringing my act with Rosillo from this podcast to Rosillo's podcast. On Wednesday night, right after that game ends, Rosillo and I are taping. We're doing our thing this week uh, on his turf, breaking down game one, everything we saw. And that will run late, late, late night on Wednesday. So he will not be on this podcast this week. I have a great one for you coming up. Going to do my NBA finals pick at the top. Jackie McMullen talking about a whole bunch of great NBA subplots going on right now, plus the finals. And then CC Sabathia, baseball playoffs, a whole lot more. Very excited for this one. First, our friends from Pearl Jam. All right, before we get to Jackie, just quickly want to give my finals pick because I mentioned during the uh, back and forth that we had that I was leaning toward Miami. I'm just going to say this now because this is going up uh, shortly, late, late Tuesday night. I'm picking Miami in six, and I really feel strongly about it. I really think they have an excellent chance of winning this series. I go into it in some detail in the Jackie part of this, so I don't want to step on that. But Miami and six, it's 10 to one odds right now. I just think the odds are, are the best. I, the two bets that I like are Miami and six or Lakers and seven, which is plus 470. I think this is a great matchup for Miami because they have a ton of guys to throw at LeBron James, three-point shooting, uh, two guards that are going to have the upper hand against basically anybody that the Lakers throw at them. And their biggest issue is going to be Davis and size and the Lakers going big offensive rebounds, all that stuff, getting bam into foul trouble. Miami possibly having to play Myers Leonard a little bit. I get it. I'm just not worried about it. I love the chip on the shoulder that Miami has and the nobody believes in us factor with them, all that stuff. They are not going to back down to this Lakers team. I was so impressed with them in the bubble. I think they're just an excellent basketball team. And then you look at that Celtics series, they didn't even shoot that well in the first five games. And they finally got it going in game six. But they 
they just know how to hang around in these games. They know how to make these quick runs. And I think they're a fantastic team. And I like the symmetry of them stealing a title from LeBron. It's the most fun pick. I also think it's the most logical pick because I think they have a better all-around team. The X factor for them is if Davis just destroys them. They're going to be able, they're not going to contain LeBron, but they're going to be able to, you know, make them work for it. They're going to pressure them full court. They're going to do all the stuff the previous three playoff teams didn't get do against the Lakers. They're going to throw multiple guys at them and they're going to make it difficult for them. And they're, they're going to try to replicate the success that the Clippers had against the Lakers in the few games that they played where, you know, he'll get his numbers, but they're going to make them work really hard for it. Davis is a different problem because Bam is really the only guy to handle him. And, you know, the foul trouble game to game with Bam is going to be an issue. But I just think this Miami team, fantastic coach, a lot of talent. Somebody can step up in every quarter, every half, every game. You just don't know. And after fighting them for six games with my favorite team, I left it going, man, that that team is really, really, really good. And they have some gamers, Dragic, Butler, Hero, Bam. You know, there's an 04 Pistons vibe with them. It's a completely different situation. Jack and I talked about that in a second, but there's there's a little bit of a vibe that reminds me of that 04 Pistons chip on the shoulder team. And I think they're gonna win. I do. And it, you know, you're gonna say, of course you do, you hate the Lakers. I, you know what I love? Being right and winning money. And uh I like Miami in six, 10 to one, great. Sign me up. They're not gonna win in four or five. And if there's a game seven, LeBron will get every call and the Lakers will win. And that's just how it's going to play out, let's be honest. So they have to take care of this in six. And we'll see how it goes. Miami in six, that's my pick. Bring it in, Jackie, right now. All right, we're taping this on Tuesday morning. So if anything mm. happens NBA-wise between now and when you hear it, uh, I apologize. Jackie McMullen is here. A lot of NBA news. First of all, they, we had... The last game of the previous round was on a Sunday night. And then we had this nice little buffer until the finals, which is fun because now we can talk about legacies. Right. You kind of hope some NBA news happens. Then the Clippers just dropped a bomb with the Doc Rivers thing, which I know you've been talking about on the ESPN outlets, but I was surprised. I thought it was one of those things that if it happened, it was going to happen within the first 72, 96 hours, whatever. Right. What do you think changed over the last week and a half? Well, I don't know. And um, I got a text from Doc at three o'clock in the morning, my time last night. So I didn't get a chance to talk to him yet. Um, I hope to. But I'm just getting, this is a guess, an educated guess. Ballmer's a bottom line, bottom line guy, right? He's a hard line businessman, bottom line guy. I think there was always reservations about Doc because we saw him lose some of his power anyway under Balmer. There was that 3-1 lead that was lost under Balmer, the first one. Yep. So I just think there's been reticence all along with him because I think Balmer looks at things pragmatically as a business owner and not emotionally. Uh, I'm an emotional person that makes emotional decisions, which is why I'd be a horrible coach. Yeah. I would never be a good coach for that reason. And, and so I, I don't know if it's just over the next few days I'm assuming they had meetings. I'm, I'm, and again, this is just an educated guest that Bomber said, talk me out of this. And Doc wasn't able to, you know? Right. So, I, so the other thing Clippers, I wonder about, one, one other thing I wonder about, Bill, is did he talk to players? Was there a message from the players that we weren't expecting? 
because I always think as Doc, as a champion of players and players responded very highly to Doc, was there a message in there? And again, this is pure conjecture on my part. I don't know. I don't know the answer yet. We'll find out very soon, I'm sure. So that was my first reaction when I heard about this, because I just don't think NBA franchises make moves without consulting either their best player or their best two players, depending on who it is. Like when the Lakers were getting rid of Luke Walton last year, I promise you they asked LeBron what he thought. And this goes back. (laughs) Wait a minute. I'm going to stop you right there. All year long, LeBron (laughs) and Rich Paul were saying, we got to get rid of Luke Walton. Come on now. They didn't have to ask him. They told us unsolicited. But this goes back 40 years because I was reading, I just read Jeff Perlman's two Laker books, including Showtime, which I'd already read, but I read again. Right. And then I was reading Pat Riley's book as well that he wrote in 87. Magic was the first time this happened where Magic's friendly with Jerry Buss. Oh, He's sure. unhappy. He starts talking. And the next thing you know, Paul Westhead is out. So we right. have a 40 year history of this. And my guess is they gave up so much for Kawhi and Paul George and they went all in for this two year window. They blew the first year. Something was clearly wrong with this team all year. And we were looking at them going, well, now they have don't, an on-off switch. It's it. weird. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. it's weird. They're it. acting like champions when they haven't won anything yet. The load management thing was weird. Then we had the pandemic. But we always thought, well, on paper, this is the most talented team. They never figured it out. And my guess is Balmer had to have talked to those guys because that's how the NBA works, right? And then they didn't stick up for him. Okay, but here's my question. If you're Balmer... And you just watched what you watched. Do you even care what they think? True. (laughs) I mean, really, if you were watching and you're like, what the heck is wrong with you guys? That would be my first question. And then if they said, well, the coach, this, the coach, that, how much credibility do you give them? That's my only question. You know, and I, and I do, I do think this, you know, I'm kind of hard on Paul George for obvious reasons. I think he really disappeared in that series against Denver. But the more I hear the more I talk to people who are exiting the bubble and have now been out of the bubble a week or two, and I'm hoping to report this in full, really flush it out, is it was just tough in there and it wasn't for everybody. And people, it really affected players adversely, severely, adversely. And I think Paul George, well, I mean, he said he was one of them. I don't, I'm not even talking out of school here. Paul George said himself, he, he was you know struggling with it, depressed, felt some depression. So I just think the bubble has had a major impact on some of the biggest players in the game. And some of it, it's been positive. Some, a guy like Jimmy Butler, he's like, bring it on. You know, that's his personality. Yeah, this is tough. Awesome. Give me more. I think LeBron James to a certain degree has been like that. So I almost feel now a little bad a few days out from being so tough on Paul George because I'm, I'm a believer that mental health is a real thing. It's the same thing as a sprained ankle or a ripped shoulder. And, uh, and maybe we should pause and give this a little more attention. So for what that's worth. That's fair because I think what we've learned from the bubble, not just with sports, but in real life is it exacerbates whatever problems are probably bubbling underneath the surface. Like if you have some couple you're friends with that have a rocky relationship and now they're stuck together for seven months, it it might not be great. I think this Clippers team, it was a weird mix the whole time they were thrown together. And it made me think like, how many times has this worked where we've created the super team and we've thrown dudes together Good and crossed our fingers and hoped it worked? I mean, because the Miami situation was so unique. They had LeBron, who's one of the three best players of all time, at the peak of his powers during that, along right. with Wade, who at least in 2011 was a top three guy. And Absolutely. Bosch, and the league's a little diluted at that point. 
and they end up making four straight finals and winning two titles. It doesn't always work out that way. Especially well, when you throw teams together, bad. you go back over NBA history. Usually it's Rocky that first year. Well, that's my point. And that's why I'm surprised Balmer did this because I get that Doc has been with the Clippers seven years, but he's been with this team one year. And isn't the whole idea, let's run it back and see what they've learned. Let's see what I've learned. Let's take the hurt from this experience, the, the, the criticism from this experience, and come back and, and win it because of it. And that's what happened with LeBron and the Heat. That's exactly what happened. I mean, LeBron says all the time it was the turning point of his career. Yeah. So that's why I think if I'm Balmer, I would have given Doc one more year. You know, I would have. I would have given them all one more year to, to learn from this hurt from this devastation, from this underachieving, I mean, like you, with a capital U. And what are you gonna, what are you made of and what are you going to do about it? I think a big part of this was the situation Balmer walked into with Doc, where, and, you know, I, I, I've had season tickets for the Clippers since 04. And when the Sterling My thing went... Yeah, thank you. When the Sterling thing went down in 2014, and not only was all of a sudden you know, he eventually ends up selling the team, but you have that, but you also have the executives that were attached to him. They lose their power, all this stuff. And there was this crazy power vacuum where the organization itself, talking like ticket guys, uh, ticket ladies, Mm -hmm. uh, marketing people, all of them were like, who the fuck are we working for? Right, right. And by all accounts, and it's documented at the time, it was what I heard. Like Doc was absolutely amazing in that situation and became kind of the guy for the Clippers. And that's how he ended up getting the GM coach power, which fundamentally, if we've learned anything from the 2010s, nobody should have those two jobs at the same time. But I think Ballmer walks into that. He doesn't know anything about basketball. He's a successful businessman. Doc has this oversized power over the franchise, and rightly so, because all the stuff he did and he kind of trusts him. And he's like, all right, let's, you let's do, you do everything. Yeah. I'm going to listen to you. And Balmer's on record two years ago as saying that was a huge mistake. I shouldn't have done that. I should have right. built a front office. So I wonder year by year if he lost confidence in Doc, especially because they didn't, they never made a conference finals. So at some point right. you look at it and you are who you are. Right. And all that's true. And listen, Doc's the first to admit he's got to take responsibility, some responsibility for what happened. I mean, it was just one of the biggest colossal collapses. I don't know. Is it is it hyperbole to say in NBA history? Because it feels a little bit like that. It's not hyperbole. And no, I don't think it is either. So does Doc hold some responsibility? Of course he does. Absolutely. But I guess I just thought with his credibility, with his credentials, and the fact that Kawhi and Paul George wanted to play for him, that's why they went to L.A., and that was, if you believe what everything we've read and heard, that was one of the tipping points. You have Doc. That's why we're coming. Yeah. So what has changed in this calendar year? I don't know the answer to that. You know, and what can we criticize Doc for? You know, he went with Montrez Harrell too long. There's plenty of X and X and O's things. And um, but as one of his confidants and friends said to me, so you're going to criticize a coach for believing in a guy a little too much. Well, yeah, that's the landscape we're in. That's the way it works in the NBA now, right? But so I don't I don't know if Bomber's just saying, all right, this guy, I, I need someone that's cutthroat like me, or I, I cutthroat, you know, business, all business, like X's and O's bottom line. That's what I need. So I don't I don't really know the answer, but uh I, I will say this. When you go back and look at the history of, of firing coaches after they've had these 55 win seasons, it doesn't really work out that well for the next guy. It it doesn't. Now this team is, my goodness, on a platter. 
But yeah. I always think back to like, you know, we talk about super teams, pointing against super teams that didn't work. I always think about that Lakers team that imported Carl Malone and Gary Payton and all those guys. And, and on paper, that should have just been unbelievable. But meanwhile, you know, Kobe and Shaq are being separated because they're going to hit each other at a huge, you know, I mean, Shaq's going to kill him. And I guess in, in Jeff's book, which I can't wait to read, there was a, a pickup game where he did actually hit him. But, you know, I remember reporting from, I forget which book I did, that there was this big meeting where uh, it was after uh, uh, Kobe went to Jim Gray and gave him that that interview and pretty much was passive aggressively just killing Shaq. And Shaq's like, I'm going to murder him with my bare hands. And, <laughs> right. and you know, Peyton and, and Malone and Brian Shaw, they got to go down there and literally stop this from happening. So, so in a perfect world, that team should have been amazing. And it wasn't. And it was, you know, think of the Hall of Famers on that team. So. And that's happened a lot over the years. Yeah, you make a good point about the next guy because we saw that in Boston with Casey Jones. You were covering that team. Yeah. Who, the last couple of years, we're all complaining about. And he's not, won't play workies, didn't play Reggie Lewis in 88. Right, right. The offense is too stale. We keep blowing leads at the end and yeah. pick them apart, pick them apart. And then the Celtics after the 88 playoffs are like, yeah, we, his time has come and gone. Right. We're, we're going to promote Jimmy Rogers. And it was a disaster. Oh, my God, the biggest Jimmy disaster. Rogers. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and I, I always say that when people talk about the assistant coaches, these great assistant coaches, and Jimmy Rogers might be one of the greatest assistant coaches of all time, for yeah. real. I mean, the players trusted him. They believed in him. He worked with them. He could challenge them. And then he, he just went six inches over to the left to be the head coach and is, you know, his physical appearance changed. I mean, he had blotchy skin. Like he, he, the pressure for him, for whatever reason, was a problem. And, yeah. and he's just one of the finest men I know, Jimmy Rogers. I can't say enough nice things about him. But when he became the head coach, he became a different person. And that happens a lot. And that's why I'm always, I'm always watching Ty Lue. And I'm like, man, that dude is consistent. You know, doesn't matter if he's a Nazi or that seat or, or as a player, like he is just the same everywhere he is. So you know, maybe he's Balmer's guy. Maybe he is. I don't know. I wonder if there's a, like a six, seven year shelf life with any coach with, with the obvious exception of Popovich. But even you well, look yeah. at Riley by, by the 89 yeah. Lakers season, the Lakers had tuned out Riley completely. And he's one uh -huh. of the four best coaches of all time. Of all time. Yeah, Doc's there great. seven years. Could Just, be. But and the, also like, think about it, but the personnel changed so dramatically in that seven years. It's true. not like you're talking to the same player, like, like in Boston, you know, when you had Bird, Prash, McHale, I mean, one of the problems, well, the obvious problem was this just out injuries that McHale, Bird, just to a lesser degree, Parrish, you know, they all just fell apart physically. But the other thing was they were together a really, really long time. And yeah. they went through different coaches, you know, Fitch. I mean, there was a mutiny to get rid of Fitch that Bird wasn't part of. And really, I'm not sure he ever forgave his teammates that were part of that. He still says Bill Fitch is the best coach he ever had. Yeah. So, you know, you go through those longevity. That's one thing. But these guys were together like 12 minutes. Yeah. Seriously. Well, so. one other thing. I I personally thought he did a terrible job in the bubble playoffs. Like, I, I thought that Denver series, uh, you know, if you just remove everything else, you just be like, was that a fireable series for a coach? I My answer would be yes. I thought they were more talented. And yeah. I thought Denver just outwitted them the whole time. But where it gets tough with Doc and I had a couple of people text me this yesterday in the league, and I'm sure you did too. It's he has outsized importance in the league he does. as a leader, as a respected black voice. And with the coaching community, I mean, he's, he's probably him and Popovich are the two most important guys. And I think 
the general consensus was like, we can't lose Doc from the league. Like somebody else right. has to hire him. And it seems like from everything I'm hearing, we're taping this, it's like eight o'clock in the morning, my time yeah. right now. It seems like Philly, if they can make a deal, that's going to be the team. That's a really interesting situation for him to walk into, right? You have this weird Embiid Simmons thing. Right. It's this clumsy kind of roster. And if anything, I think that's pretty risky for him. What do you think about him in Philly? I just think he'll, because I've seen him do it, he'll, he'll hypnotize Embiid and Ben Simmons. He'll take him to an art museum or to a, you know, on a duck boat. Do they have duck boats in Philadelphia? I don't yeah, probably, probably somewhere. I, I don't know. They couldn't possibly be like the <laughs> swan boats in Boston. But anyway, he'll find something to do to bring these guys together because that's what he's really good at. And he'll talk about, you know, I, I just know Doc's a lifer feels like a lifer to me. Maybe he needs a break. Maybe it'd be good for him to take a year and just catch his breath. Cause you'd only be that more sought after and more valuable if he does. Uh, I think there'll be plenty of teams interested in him. I'm sure Philly is. And, and if Ty Lue becomes the new Clippers coach that takes him out of that mix. Although we keep hearing Dan Tony anyway, it's, it's a very interesting, if I'm doc, I'm just taking the year off, man. I'm just going to take a year off and take stock of what just happened. What's my role in it? He's getting paid. How much paid. culpability I have? Yeah. Yeah. Just take a year. Just take a year and just catch my breath. Now, there's been a lot of coaches fired, as you know, in the last few weeks. I've talked to almost all of them. I talked to one yesterday. And he's like, my son keeps saying, that narrows it down to coaches who have sons. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, why, are you, why do you want to keep doing this? We have all the, the, the security we need. We love yeah. you. You've, you've accomplished so much. Anybody that becomes an NBA coach has accomplished so much. Like, why do you want to keep doing this? Just take a time for yourself. Like, you look horrible. Just give yourself a break. Get yourself some rest. Get yourself fit. Like, just cool it, you know. And so doesn't that apply to Doc in some ways? He's got grandchildren now. Like, just take a year. I don't know if he's listening. Take a it's, year, Doc. Take a year, man. Re it's a brilliant Figure move. this out. Figure this out, and you'll be more sought after than ever. And, and you can sit back and watch whether the Clippers win at all or they don't, you know, I don't know. I just think, uh, but I understand the mentality. And so do you, cause we're the same. I mean, we can't live without this game. It's ridiculous. I wish I had other hobbies. I do have some, but none of them overtake me the way this does. Like I can't live without basketball. You know, the move is to take a year off. I don't think he will. Because we've seen it over and over really again. You, your stock just goes up, especially like he'll do TV for a year. He'll be amazing. Right. He was be one great. of the best TV color guys we've had. Like yeah, it's basically great. him yeah. and Steve Kerr, I think were the yeah, two Kerr best. Yeah, Kerr was amazing too. Yeah. Um, so he does that for a year. The question for me is like, so the two available jobs, and I, I've heard Houston's going after him pretty hard too, and that's been reported. Right. I wouldn't go near Houston because I think that's Loserville. You're just, you're never winning a title yeah. with that team. Philly, I could oh. see yourself. Sit, I could see him sitting on the deck at his house in Malibu, wherever he is, just kind of looking on the ocean, thinking about Embiid. Right. Oh man, if I could get Embiid in shape, if I can reach Embiid, right. that team right. has so much talent. I, I really want to prove that I can get back to the finals. Like this might actually light a fire under him. So that Philly job's a tough job to turn down as weird as that roster is. No, it is. But here's the other side of it. What if you're sitting on your deck in Malibu? And making reservations for Nobu. And I think, man, why don't I just take a year to figure out what the best job is for me? Not, not to grab the next job to validate myself. I don't need validation. Everybody knows right. 
where I stand in, in the hierarchy of things. Why should I put myself through this? Because if it doesn't work in Philly, now you're sort of one of those guys like, I don't know how many more chances do I get? You know, like it's crazy to say that. What's but his fourth team? Yeah, I mean, it's kind or of... Whatever his next team is. So, you know, he had Orlando, who's in Boston for a while. Right. And then the yeah. seven years with the Clippers. I'm sorry, that's going to be tough on his resume. Like he, Of course it is. Yeah, he Not, not ever making a conference finals. Oof. Yeah, and you don't think he doesn't know that? So if Doc is smart, he'll take a look at that view from his deck. We're assuming he has a nice teak deck. I bet he has somebody else staying it for him. We stain our own deck. It's a messy job, I'm just going to tell you. I think he should just say, you know what? <laughs> standing Pat. I'm standing Pat. I, he yeah. won't. I don't think he will, but he should. Let's take a break to talk about Roman. If you were to guess on average, how many days people in the U.S. have to wait to see a doctor? What would you say? Well, the answer, 29 days to see a doctor in major U.S. cities. And if you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment ASAP. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state off from the comfort of your home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. Use your phone or computer. Complete a free online visit. You'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides that treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, no commitments, cancel anytime. And if you're struggling with ED, here's what you do. Go to GetRoman.com slash Bill for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That is GetRoman.com slash Bill for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. Let's talk about another another team that's reeling right now, the Celtics. I mm. want to talk about the finals in a second, but... Yeah. So that Celtics series and the Celtics playoff run, I said this probably a month ago on this pod. I felt like... Is they, everybody thinks of them as a young team. Oh, this mm. is the first of many chances. First of all, they've been in three conference finals in four years. I felt like the window in a lot of ways was now because you have this great contract situation. Tatum's not even a max player right. yet. You've had all these draft picks. You yeah. have a situation where M Milwaukee, who's your, in, in Philly, who are your two biggest rivals going into the season, are both exterminated before we even get to round three. 100%. On the West, you have this weird Lakers team that's really a two-man team. And it was just sitting there for them. And I went from being like, man, it, it, what an amazing year. The conference finals. Right. exactly. Such a jump from last year with Kyrie. It was so unhappy. I, I really took that loss hard as a fan because I was like, man, it was just sitting there. And I feel like Miami just outfought them and they win three of the four games basically by in the fourth quarter being tougher, um, by coming through in big moments, by outwitting the Celts with the out, definitely out coaching them. I think this one's going to sting. I don't, I don't feel like this was like a cool. We made the conference finals. The more I'm thinking about it, I'm like, man, you only have so many windows at these and right. I blew it. And, um, it's funny if I had said to you before the playoffs started, or this season, let's say before the season started, and if I said to you, yeah, the Celtics are going to lose in six games in the conference finals, you'd be like, I'll take that. Because if yeah. you lose to the Bucs and it's a bad matchup and Giannis is, you know, Adonis and it's all good. But you're right. This, this landscape is completely different. And I didn't like, and maybe it's just player speak, but I didn't like what I heard after they lost. Like right after the loss, I wanted to hear, we need to be tougher we need to be better. And I heard this was an amazing year. I love my teammates. 
And I was like, whoa, really? I mean, I get that. I get that because their future is still really, really good. They don't have to, unlike some of these other teams, like the Sixers who have to decide like schematically, like we don't work. We, do we, do we send one of the big two? Like they don't have yeah. any of those kind of decisions. Their, their only thing is, you know, Gordon Hayward's going to pick up his option. You're going to pay Jason Tatum the max. You have to decide whether you keep Shemi Ojale, which I'm pretty sure they won't. You know, you're going to pick up Daniel Tice's, whatever it is, five million. Or, I mean, it's low money. Oh, that's Cantor. I mean, I think his money's even lower. So you don't both have of them are Both of them are their option. Right. So these are low-level decisions in, in many ways, unless you decide um, we're going to, we can't play position as basketball. We have to have at least one dominant big you know, then, then you have some big decisions to make. But so to me, it was like, you, you see Miami and I have so much respect for Miami. I had them before the season started. I, I totally misjudged some of their talent. I, I, I felt like I was way off. They're much better. They're much smarter. They're much, well, I know, you know, they're going to be well coached with Spolster. So you look at this and it's just like, how, because if it was just a matter of talent or and Miami was better, Miami deserved to win. Let's be clear. The right team won for all the right reasons. Totally agree. They, they were tougher. They were more disciplined. They played better defense. All those things are true. And I want I don't want to take anything away from Miami because they're just an incredible story. I'm just enjoying it so much. But if you're the Celtics, you just imploded. Like in the fourth quarter, you, you things start to go bad and you just start jacking up threes. And it's like, yeah. Again, we're doing this. That's the part I just I didn't understand it. And you know, when when the Heat was trailing in that game, game six, I was watching Butler and I was watching Iggy. Ego Dallas, one of my favorite players. Just I mean, Me too. he's everybody's favorite player. So tough, so smart, so clever. And you thought earlier in the series, like, well, I don't know, maybe he doesn't fit in this series. Spoel wasn't playing him very much. He looked a little rusty. I mean, think about it. He didn't play most of the year. And then all of a sudden, you you, you watch them when when they're down. And they, they don't panic. They don't do anything but just dig a little deeper, make an extra pass, make the right play. Patience. Patience is the sign of a veteran elite team. And there was no patience when it came to Boston. And that surprised me because I feel like they've been around long enough that they should understand that. And they didn't. They didn't. I rewatched the fourth quarter, which was awful watching it live and was mm. even worse, worse on a rewatch. Yeah, they completely fell apart. I mean, people know they're up 96, 90 and the heat going like a 35 to five run, but the heat scored on 10 straight possessions. They, uh, they did everything they wanted and you can, you can visibly see the Celtics kind of falling Wilting. apart and shrinking Wilting. from the moment. And what was frustrating to me and then here and after, it's like, well, they're a young team. It's first of many times. It's like, are they a young team? Cause yeah. They have two veterans that they're paying combined 60 million a year, Kemba and right. Hayward, who are at their veteran peaks, who are supposed to be the experienced guys for these situations. Tatum and Brown. Brown's been in three conference finals. Tatum, this was his second. He went toe-to-toe with LeBron. Uh, Smart's been in a bunch of big games. He's probably played 70, 75 playoff games at this point. And you look at Miami on the other side, it's like, what game has Hero been in? Right. What game has Duncan Robinson no, been exactly. in? What big playoff games has Bam been in? Why, why, why is the Celtics the young team? I just think the Miami was tougher and better coached and it's, it was a tough Steven series. It really was. He got, he got, I thought nurse took it to him in round two in a lot of ways. And that series probably shouldn't have gone seven. Mm. And then this series, like Spo definitely 
always had this extra something to bring to the table every game. Well, well and, and I thought too, just, you know, he went with Tyson. Tyson, Tyson was really, he had a really good year, underrated, you know, doesn't make any money, gets every file called on him. It's unbelievable. <laughs> doesn't matter. And when he gets, he gets hammered going to the bats, he never gets, I have some sympathy for him, but in this game, in that fourth quarter, you could not play him. Yeah. When Grant Williams was on the floor, I think they were a plus 24 or something crazy. That they might could be the switch wrong on number. D, all that yeah, stuff. I mean, yeah, I mean, just Grant Williams should have been in the game. And I think Brad knew it. And again, it's, uh, you know, his, I mean, Hayward did not have it clearly in that game. And it that also hurt, I felt, just they went with Hayward too long. He just was having, and listen, I'll, I will, and people don't like to make excuses for players if they're hurt or not. I don't, I'm not, I don't agree with that. I think Hayward came back three weeks too early and he did it because the team needed him and he knew he should play. You know, I remember early on, right after he had that injury, one of the things that happened to him was one of the nerves got irritated in his ankle. He was in excruciating pain for like yep. the first week after that happened, aside from the, all the other ligament damage and everything else. So he got it out. He came back and, you know, Mark Jackson kept saying on the broadcast, well, you know, if you're out there, I don't want to hear about it. no excuses. Well, come on. That's that to me isn't quite right. And Gordon Hayward, Probably shouldn't have been playing, and then but when he was ineffective, it's then you got to take him out, and you you just got to stop going to him. So that's well, and that's been Stevens's blind spot for the last three years. I was my dad and I have talked about this endlessly, and my dad was here this weekend. It's almost like the high school coach and his son, yeah, where the coach can't look at it rationally or objectively at all. And Hayward has had these moments the last three years, which is clear he wasn't right on the court for different right. reasons. Right, he came back from the terrible injury. And there were times he just didn't look comfortable and aggressive and anything. Right. Uh, when he came back from the broken hand this year, he didn't look right for a while. And Stevens was just going to ride him and really trusted him. Yeah. And he trusts him because of shit that goes way back to Butler. But right. in this game, it wasn't the game for him. You could see it when he's missing layups oh, and layup. stuff like that. that it's like, layup. yeah, it's, it's out. That was like, wow. I was like, I said, but I think it was because I watched it. I, I rewatched that because I was trying to figure out. I don't know if you noticed that he had no lift on the layup. Nothing. That's what it was. He couldn't, I don't think he could jump right. for real. So, so I'm, you know, now. Are Kim you sure he's going to opt in? Oh, come on. Who's going to pay him $32 million? I'm not saying that. I'm saying the opt out, do the long, because we've seen that a couple times in recent years where the guy opts out and takes 85 for four and or maybe something like that. He might. That's. That's a possibility. And you've got this injury history now, which everyone gets mad at me. Gordon Hayward fans, they're like, injury history. I'm like, well, he has been injured. I mean, they're freak injuries. I get that. But it doesn't change the fact that he hasn't been able to fulfill his contract with Boston. It's very unfortunate. And it is related to injury. And I feel for the guy. But if you're the Celtics, do you want to have him opt out and extend him for how long? I don't know. Like, what's your... I think they believe in him. I, I do think Danny and Brad still believe in, in, in Gordon Hayward. And, and to be honest, so do I. When he's healthy, I believe in him too, because what he did this year when he was healthy doesn't get talked about enough. Think about it. Gordon Hayward in Utah is your wonder, you know, your your main option. He's a 20-point-a-game scorer. He's a volume scorer, and he's important to you. And then he comes to Boston. You're thinking maybe he could do that. Then he gets hurt, and all these things happen. These young guys come. So this year, what did he do? He, he had very few touches, really, when you think about it. And he maximized them with really quite good efficiency. And he was – the best facilitator they had on the floor. He really was. He, he just, he made plays and often he didn't always get the assist. There was a hockey assist, the Gretzky right. assist sometimes, but 
But so I admire what he did this year. He never complained about it. He fit in in a way that I'm sure was not how he envisioned it when he came to Boston. He's like, all right, well, this is what this is what I have to do to contribute to the team. And he did. And I think the players appreciated it because if you were Jalen Brown, for instance, a year earlier and you're like, man, what do I have to do to get my minutes and get my shots? Yeah. I, if I'm Jalen Brown, by the way, I'm still thinking that after the series, he was my favorite Celtic from start to finish. That he was guy, awesome. Think about what he did. He guarded Adebayo. He guarded Hero. He guarded Drogic. He guarded Bam in some situations. He, I'm, lift, I'm leaving people out. Duncan Robinson. He's, he's turned into the McHale for this. If yeah, there's no. a, not that so, Tatum's bird, but there's definitely a bird McHale dynamic with them. Where there were games where McHale was the best guy on the floor, and, but it was always the bird shadow. I think people right. gravitate to Tatum when they watch the team, but well, yeah, Jalen's the most reliable guy they have. Well, he was in this series for sure. And and offensively, he was too, those corner threes. And, and again, so I love Marcus Smart. I've watched that kid. I've covered, I feel like, almost every game he's ever played in since he got here. I've watched him go from a kid that couldn't even hit the rim when he was taking threes, you know, NBA threes, to really turn himself into a very serviceable, solid offensive player. And we know that he's just, you know, otherworldly defensively. So I'm the president of his fan club. But he took 22 shots in game six. Kemba took 15, and I think Jalen Brown took 17. That that doesn't work. That, that, that doesn't work. Listen, you could just go look at games where Smart has taken like 19 shots or more, 10 threes or more. Yeah. It's never good. No. It's, and when, they, when they're at their best, it's always like he's got nine points, nine rebounds, eight right. assists, two steals, mm-hmm. eight yep. shots, something like that. He doesn't see it. I, I do wonder, I think this is a pivotal summer for them. And I know it's a pivotal summer for anybody, but this is really the last year that they have some roster options because Tatum's going to get the max super max, yep. whatever the hell he ends up with. Brown's right. locked in. Kemba's making 30 million a year. Hayward yep. is in the last year of his deal. So it's either he's going to be an expiring contract heading into this last season, or you redo the deal for less. They have the Tice Cantor thing to figure out. They have a 5.7 million exemption. They're going to be over the tax for the next five years. Yeah, no matter and what. They, yeah. And they have three, I don't know. I think they have like 14, 22, and 26, something like that. But if there was ever a year for them to make a move, if they loved a guy in the top seven in the draft, or this is it. Yeah. if they wanted to use Hayward's contract with all of their picks to go after somebody else, if they wanted to trade, Kemba and Tice for Porzingis, like what, whatever the, whatever the big monster Good luck, move Bill. is. That's never happening. My friend, never happening. So? <laughs> no. eh. never Porzingis, maybe, maybe declining stock. Uh, but I do think, I think <laughs> oh they're God, very aware. Celtics fan at heart, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> I think they're very aware. This is the pivotal summer. Cause they kind of blew it last summer. They really did. Yeah. They, yeah. they, when you think about like the last two rounds, Williams was the only draft pick who played even a little and he barely right. played. I mean, he made two threes, the whole Miami series and mm-hmm. it was a pretty good draft. There were a lot of good dudes in there and they kind of whiffed. Right. Right. No, all that is true. It, it's interesting that, um, ball was in Boston. Someone saw him, someone from the Lawrence Eagle tribune somehow saw him. He was in Boston. Lonzo ball. No, no, no. Uh, Lamel. LaMelo Ball was in Boston? Yeah, he was. And the word on the street was that he was working out for the Celtics or was visiting with the Celtics. So I don't know what to make of that. It's not my report. Some eagle eye from the Lawrence Eagle Tribune found out about that. I thought that was very interesting. I think there's trade-up potential for them because 
the teams in the top seven are not necessarily a hundred percent delighted with being in the top seven. Maybe they'll right. love somebody, but you look at a team like the Pistons, Pistons have the seventh pick. They probably have the most barren talent roster in the league. Mm, you know, they're, they're, they're tied to yeah. Blake and Drummond, Luke Kennard. Uh, mm. The rookie they took last year was pretty good, but for the most part, they kind of need young guys and to take swings. And this is a draft where if you get past like the 10th pick, you can take swings. You might end up with the Bam Adebayo type of right po- end of the lottery, post lottery kind of yeah, stuff. Pascal Siakam. Yeah, yeah. So right. I think I think this is a draft where if you love somebody in the top seven, you could potentially move up with picks and some other stuff. Yeah. So we'll they've see. got their the Memphis's fourteenth pick. Their own pick, I think, is twenty six, and then they have Milwaukee's pick, which is thirty in the first right. round. That's what and then is. they have Brooklyn's pick in the second round. So they do have some some options. It'll be interesting to see. I think. You know, the Gordon Hayward decision is an interesting one. I do think they still believe in him. I Your point's a good one. They may just do that. Have him opt out and spread it out over three or four years. Or yes. you have him opt out, spread it out, and you traded him in Indiana for Miles Turner. And if hmm. you're the Haywards, you're like, Boston was a nightmare. Everything went wrong from day one. Fresh yeah. start. We're back home. Yeah. And then if you're Boston, you're like, hey, Miles Turner, on a good night, kind of like I- him. But, you know, I'd rather I'd rather have Sabonis. I love Sabonis. Uh, I'd rather have Sabonis. I love Sabonis as well. Let's take a break to talk about Bacardi Spice Rum. You love the classic. Now you'll love the new Bacardi Spice Rum. Sip along with your friends. Enjoy a delicious Bacardi and Cola for game day this weekend. Bacardi Spice Rum, your choice of cola. Maybe throw in a lime. What more could you ask for in a game day ritual? We have a lot of games. A lot of baseball games. NBA Finals. Football some college football, tackle your weekend, spice up the game with the new Bacardi Spice Rum. Friday night, game two of the finals. That's a perfect time to, to try one out. Little little Bacardi and cola. Why not? Spice Rum. Have you tried it? It's really good. Bacardi, do what moves you. Drink responsibly. Bacardi USA, Coral Gables, Florida. Rum with natural flavors and spices. 35% alcohol by volume. All right, let's talk about a couple final storylines. One is Miami. Bam said it in the post-game interview after game six. This is the reason I love them heading into the bubble, why I love them heading into the playoffs, and why I kind of like them as a sneaky finals pick. I haven't decided if I'm picking them yet. I'm not, I'll, I'll, I'll announce it somewhere before Wednesday night. They're a chip-on-the-shoulder team. Bam said oh, it. Yeah, said, every guy in this roster is mad about something. Is felt like they were undervalued, underappreciated. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't get their just due, had to fight for what they got. Those are the type of teams that that win the title. And they've been compared to the 2004 Pistons a little bit over the last few weeks. I think it's a really good comparison, not from a style of play, but when you look at the mechanics and the personality of that Pistons team and what made them succeed, it was all of these dudes who had just this incredible amount to prove. They did. Which reminds they me nastier. of the Miami team. But they were nastier. Well, I guess... I mean, Rashid is so nasty, but I guess Jimmy Butler matches him for nastiness. You know, the rest of those guys, uh, you know, Ben Wallace, he was nasty. In right. a great well, it's a different in, era for the league yeah. too. Yeah, yeah it was a, a way more way. physical team than what it we was. Now. But uh, yeah, that's not a bad comparison. I, I just uh, the thing about them that interests me when I when I watch them is like 
Tyler Hero in in that game the other night, he uh he got stripped. Was I think it was Jalen Brown? Did Jalen Brown strip him? I think it was Jalen Brown. Tyler Hero and, got stripped two times. Yeah. Right. And he's looking at the referee. He's staring down the referee like he's been in the league five years. And I'm like, yo, kid, you know, what are you yeah, doing? He's 20. But I love it. I mean, I love it, but I'm like, whoa, there's just there's so there's an edge to him that I don't think we've even scratched the surface of yet. I, I really don't. And he's the one that I just he just amazes me. I didn't watch Miami enough. I wish I had watched them more. I would have understood how important he is. Dragic is another one who has that, that kind of fire to him that he's had back to Phoenix when he was Nash's caddy for like probably two, too many years, but could come in and swing playoff games and carried himself almost like the the type of player that would kill America in the Olympics in like 2004. He had that kind of vibe to him. Manu Ginobili, for instance. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you know, it's funny if you, I was thinking about him too, because they don't finish games with him, as you know, you know, he's usually not like the end of the game. They're going with Iggy and, and this guy's been so important to them and they show him on the sidelines and he's screaming and cheering for everyone. Like that's the other thing. There's, there's no, there's no, at least that I can see internal drama about who's playing and who isn't like Kelly Olenek didn't play at all. The last two, whatever games, Derek Jones plays important minutes and then you don't ever see him again. That reminds me a little bit of what, Malone was doing with the Nuggets. I liked it, you know, like he he leaned on um, PJ Dozier in that one game, and PJ Dozier was amazing. Then he was a DMP the next game, yeah. you know, and and that tells me when you can do that, that tells me that there's just an understanding within your group and with your coaching staff about how this is going to work, and we have no time for any of the histronics are going to go on about playing time or shots or who gets this or who gets that. I think that's really important too, because you know. Davis, Anthony Davis, in some of those Laker games, he was getting really frustrated. Like, give me the ball, you know? How come I'm not getting the ball? I thought that was interesting. Well, especially his reaction after the game winner, where he was kind of angry. Yeah. And it, he kind of had this attitude like, yeah, I can do this all the time. Right. Uh, I said this on Sunday and I wanted to throw this at you. One of the reasons I think Miami has a real chance in this series is they are not going to be deferential to LeBron at all. And I think what we've seen in these playoffs, especially, and really all season, and it's mainly because of everything LeBron's built as one of the greatest players ever, his stature, the yeah. fact that he's going against dudes who grew up idolizing him. Like he, Michael Porter's covering him, and Michael Porter's like, I've been playing this guy in video games since I was like eight years old. Like, I right. can't believe I'm guarding LeBron. And I do think teams were really deferential to him, especially Denver. I was shocked by, they just let him waltz up the court. He's, he's basically playing point guard. They're not pressuring him at all. He's 35 years old. They're not making a move. They're not trash talking him. They're not hard fouling him and staring at him for an extra second. And he was just the, the alpha yeah. dog of that series in so many ways. I think oh, Miami is yeah. going to approach it completely differently. I think they're going to be trying to mess with him, get in his head. They're going to be really physical when he's bitching at the refs. They're going to be bitching at him to shut up and play. Yeah. And they're not going to be Maybe. differential at all. And I actually think that's the way it has to be if you're trying to beat him. Well, you're right about one thing. The one thing you have to try to do to beat LeBron James is tire him out. You got to make him work on the defensive end. You got to, you know, and that's what, San Antonio did so beautifully all the way back in 2014. That's how they beat they beat the Heat was they kept moving the ball, moving the ball, moving the ball, which Miami can do. And it, requ- it requires you to recover, recover, recover. And it's exhausting to do that, especially when you're 35. Yeah. And, and you know, he's. I will say this, though. In that game, the, the clinching game, 
he took that game by the throat he in did. the first two minutes and he never let go. I thought it was one of the best wire to wire games he might have ever had. Agree. And I, I say that because he was shooting, you know, I expect him to drive and score. I expect that all the time. I, you know, I, he's been playing good defense all year, consistently really been engaged defensively, but he was hitting perimeter shots and threes that I never, I never expect that with consistency because his career totals tell us we shouldn't expect that. And so I just thought that was an unbelievable performance. And if he plays like that, nobody's going to beat the Lakers. I really I don't, don't I don't see him being able to do that in this series because of... Well, I, I think you're right because like Butler obviously doesn't put anybody on a pedestal. And Iggy, let's remember, Iggy's got a pretty good history with this guy. Iggy's yeah. old, he's old. We're, all right, let's agree we're both old and we've both been here before. And I bother you from time to time. You know? Well, and then you have Crowder who's like, you you gave up on me in 40 games when we played right. together. Yeah, and he's going to be completely fired up to to... You know, and then you also have the band piece too. I it's the the bummer of the Clippers not making round three was they had so many ways to defend him. Right. And LeBron got through the first three rounds and was awesome, but also played three teams that were perfect for him, right? Portland's got Hazonia. Right, right. All yeah, those it's too dudes. bad Trevor Reza couldn't have played. He might have just I'm not saying he would have stopped LeBron, no, but at least he would have made five him He's a body. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So all of a sudden we're now in this. Miami series where they have all these dudes to throw at him. The matchup that is going to be really tough for Miami is Davis. And Davis. Yeah. So can if Bam he's handle healthy, that? Yeah. If he's and healthy. Yeah. And Bam. Bam, the Celtics were never able to get him in foul trouble, test him really in any way. He was always out there. He was always able to play 40 minutes, basically doing whatever he wanted. And we knew going into that series, he was going to be the worst, that him and Dragic were the two worst matchups right. that was born yeah. out. I think when I look at, uh, what Miami brings to the table against the Lakers, the the Dragic hero factor with the Lakers guards, they're just not going to be able to guard those guys if they're playing well. The fact that Robinson can move so well around screens and right. whoever is chasing him around, that's going to be tough. I'm not sure they're going to have to figure out how to hide LeBron. They might even have to play some zone. But on the flip side, LeBron loves hunting these, these dudes and man to man, getting people in pick and right. roll and switches. Miami's yeah. just going to play that zone. And they're going to be like, cool. Yeah, that's we're, right. We're, this is what we're doing. Beat this. And I and we've seen teams over the years have been able to get in LeBron. You know, this is the way to beat him is right. throw something different at him, make him try to solve it. And when he can't solve it, then he's not LeBron anymore. Dallas being the most famous example of that. So do you see that zone right, working right. against him or am I being too optimistic for Miami? No, I, I think there's a chance it will, especially because his supporting cast I'm still not convinced they can. I just can't believe a team that shoots the ball as inconsistently as the Lakers do from the three-point line can win a championship, especially in this day and age where three-point shooting is at a premium. And I, I was on, I don't know, one of the shows with Fizz, Fizzdale, and he was like, no, no, they're a good three-point shooting team. And I'm like, no, they're not. Are, are they? Man, I don't see it. You know, now playoff Rondo <laughs> is shooting 42% from the three-point line. Do you realize that? He shot 42%. All of them were wide open though, right? But, so he's four out of 10 on care. wide open threes. And, yeah. I still can't believe it. And see, here's the thing about playoff Rondo. So every coach is like, okay, yeah, you could slack off of him, could test late and use him to double. Like the way I know Rondo, I'm sure the way you know Rondo, do it at your own peril, man. I'm telling yeah. you, that goes into his blood and he's like, yeah, all right, watch me. So I just, it's funny to think that LeBron, that Rondo at his age could be an X factor for the Lakers, but he has the experience. He's not afraid of anybody. 
He'll get up in the grill of those young players. He'll be insulted that anybody thinks Hero or Duncan Robinson should even be mentioned in the same breath as him. Like he really right. will be like that. He's he can froth himself into a lather. Now, can the other guys? I don't know. You know, Caruso and 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 Kuzma. Like, what what do they get out of those guys? That could, to me, have a lot to depend on what this what happens in this series because Davis is going to be great. But Davis, to me, is is just an odd player. I mean. Obviously, he's incredibly talented and his numbers, but I don't think his numbers in this postseason truly explain him. I think there's been periods where you're like, well, where's Davis? You know, I mean, I agree. no, no rebounds into the fourth quarter twice. Like, well, twice. But you're you supporting know. casting. There was a, that moment when Davis made the game winner. Yeah. It's and that was a tight game. Great shot. Got yeah. swung. But the, like two plays before that gets swung to Caruso. Game on the line, wide open. And I was like, he's not making that. He short-armed yeah. it. But they ended yeah. up the rebound. They got out of bounds. They were able to whatever. Yeah. There's going to be a moment like that in the finals. And we have seen over and over again, it's the Carusos that decide these finals the sometimes. Yeah, the heroes. And, and don't you think Heroes thinks pretty sure he's going to make every shot he's ever taken in his life? That's, that's the case that for Miami, though, because... Yeah. And you saw it in game six, right? This is why I was so worried about Miami against Boston series. This is why I thought they're going to beat them. You can outplay them and they'll have this random quarter where Iggy hits four threes in a quarter where hero <laughs> scores 17 points and a half <laughs> where Dragic scores yeah. 10 points in a minute where Butler all of a sudden is getting to the free throw line and hitting a three. And you're like, Jesus, he's the best player in the league. Right. It's, right, it's right. always somebody else with them, which to me lends itself to this is a team that, that could be a finals team. And I, my fear for them would be Davis destroys them. Right. I actually think they're going to be that LeBron's not going to do what he did in the Denver series. Like LeBron will be great, but I don't, I just don't think he'll be able to be peak LeBron 35, 10 and 10 every night. That's not going to happen against this Miami team. Davis is the guy for them huh. in this. Well, we series. And we haven't talked about the real gentleman in the room, which is Pat Riley. I mean, isn't that just the best part of this whole thing? Ugh. I just, it's just the best part. Of, I mean, when you look back on Pat Riley, who had this impeccable reputation and he, and he moves mountains to get those three guys there and they have an agreement. I think it was four years, right? Am I right about this? And then they come back at the 11th hour after the, it's all been announced and say, yeah, we need that next year. And he's like, if I do this, I have to trade away players and picks just so you understand to afford this. So don't come back to me and say, we don't have enough because yeah. you want this extra year. So am I clear on this? And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he leaves, <laughs> you know? So would you just look back on that? The, the betrayal that Pat Riley must've felt and has shared it with, you know, my, my good friend, Ian Thompson wrote a book called the soul of basketball. There's some great stuff from Riley in there about LeBron James, really great quotes from Riley about, how, you know, he had to finally just let go of it. Well, now I think he's going to go back into his closet and dig out those old memories and grab hold of it and put it in the middle of the, of the, uh, of the locker room. Like they used to do with the heat when they had that weird thing with the bowl and all the messages in it, you know? Oh yeah. So I, I mean, he's a great motivator. If you, if you, if you, some guys don't buy into it, but he's, I just keep thinking, oh, I can't stop thinking about Pat Riley during this whole thing. I can't it's stop It's my favorite about subplot of it. Him and Spo yeah. together because... I remember I was on TV that year in the playoffs when they were, you know, imploding against the Spurs. And I, I always felt like it was as that finals went along, especially after Cleveland won the lottery, that it was in play. 
And everyone's like, no way. He hates Gilbert. He'll never go yeah. back. But LeBron, you know, the, one of the reasons he's in the running for greatest player of all time at this point is he's so smart. He knew he didn't have it with that Miami roster anymore. He knew Wade wasn't the same guy. Right. He knew it was going to be too hard for them to add pieces, paying those three guys. Right. And they were kind of going to be in the fault. situation they were in. But that was his but fault. But that was his fault. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Because they hadn't done the extra year. Yeah, I know. And I always say, I always used to tease Pop and those guys in, in San Antonio, like, you're the reason LeBron left. Because you played, you had to play near perfect basketball over those final three games of that series. Because that series is two to one. And they played near perfect basketball over those final three games. Like the way they moved the ball, the point five, just moving, 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 cutting, moving. That's what made LeBron realize, yeah, I guess I'm done. I guess I'm done here. I really believe that. It's it's been interesting the how people justify years where LeBron didn't win the finals, right? Oh seven you throw out because that team, it's amazing yeah. they even got there. They had no chance. There. Yeah, right. But those former Miami teams were the favorites every single year. They right. almost went up two nothing against Dallas. They completely choked in game two. If they win that game, they probably win the finals that year. Two thousand fourteen, right. it's not like he was playing with a bunch of schmucks. He had Wade, he had Bosch, he had oh, Ray yeah. Allen. Yeah. He had Haslam. No, like that, that was a pretty good team. The Spurs just haymakered him. Yeah. 2015, everybody gets hurt. I guess you could throw that one out. 16, yeah. miracle comeback, but really they would have lost that if Draymond doesn't stupidly get, you know, right. the, the last technical. 17 and 18, that team spent a lot of money. I think they had the highest salary total in the lead. And in 17, they had him and Kyrie and Kevin Love, who were allegedly three of the 15 best players in the league. And everybody's like, well, yeah, he had no chance that year. It's like, they, I don't think we felt like he had no chance that year. The Warriors just outplayed them and Durant outplayed LeBron. Durant. I was going to say, that's all about Durant, though. You add Durant yeah. to that mix and then, then it's all... It's but all he played better there. than LeBron that series. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I don't no, know. I this it. series, I, I look at it and I'm like, they're the favorites. They're almost four to one favorites. They have the two yeah. best players in the series. Oh, yeah, and if they lose this... That's a bad one. That's it. You look at 11, you look at 14, yeah. 17. I feel like the two sides are relatively equal. They had, they were slight underdogs, whatever. Um, and then 20, they're uh, prohibitive favorites. Right. But I think that's why uh, they don't lose. <laughs> I think everything right. you just said is why they don't lose. I really do think the Lakers will win. I think they, they just, LeBron to me just looks, I, I got to tip my hat to him. I've been, you know, from last year to this year, just the, the way he's changed his mind and changed his, the way he approached everything. I mean, it's kind of good that all those young players got traded away for Anthony yeah. Davis because they had a right to be really ticked off at him, honestly, yeah. for, you know, the way he quit on them last year. So this year he's been locked in from the very beginning and he's like all the great ones, all the great ones do this, all the perceived slights, real and imagined, doesn't matter. I mean, Jordan was the best at it. You know, all these perceived, like he made up that story about the kid from Washington. I mean, that's just like my favorite story. Uh, the guy from the... Who's oh, the Bradford was, Smith. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's like the best story ever. And LeBron does the same thing, real, slights real or imagined. And a lot of times it's the media he uses, whatever. Whatever he needs to do to get himself all revved up, he's there. He's there. And uh, and Rondo, I just think Rondo is going to play a part in this, just from, even though he's he had a horrible regular season, technically he's too old. You can't shoot. I just think he's gonna he's gonna do something in this series to make a difference. Who on the who on the Lakers is the odds on favorite to be the most embarrassing pretending them so that they had an awesome relationship with Kobe? Is it too many candidates? 
gosh, I don't even like Dwight Howard was talking about it, pretending oh. like, oh, Kobe told me once. It's like Kobe hated you. What are you yeah, talking yeah. about? I, I, Why I think you it's for, Kobe. He despised you. Yeah, he really did. In fact, I they came to the Lakers came to town uh, the year that Dwight was playing with them, and I was judicious in my asks with Kobe because you didn't yeah. want to overdo it. But every other year, I guess, maybe they would come to town. We'd have lunch at the Four Seasons because they always stayed there, which I love because I love that room and it's Great. beautiful. And, Best lunch and, place and, you in know, Boston. Boston Globe and ESPN, one or the other got to pay for it. It was always good for me. Always had the soup. I love that it started with soup. I never start with soup unless my company's paying for it. Yeah. Anyway, and so I sat there with Kobe and like I didn't even – I had barely said hello. He was, he was ready to launch and he just destroyed Dwight. So, yeah, I think – Pretty much hands down to one. This is this is my number one reason to root for Miami. I, I might have to wager on them just for this reason. I can't accept the Dwight redemption story. I just can't. Yeah. Dwight Howard, NBA champion, so is, is just torture. Yeah. I, I can't it, handle it. Well, and he was so, I mean, I know he was effective in that Denver series in spurts, but a lot of the time he was just so, he was like a caricature, you know? Yeah. And the histronics. And I just, to me, it was somewhat offensive, you know? Yeah, he really was. Last and question Jokic I have for pretty you. much ignored him, you know. Jokic was good enough to ignore him. So I wish Jokic had gotten mad at him because it seemed like Dwight was just trying to provoke. So him. here's the thing about Jokic: like he, he I, I don't know. You, you got to accept Jokic for who he is, and you're not going to ever see any of the internal angst, anger, strife. Like that's part of his gig. Whereas Jamal Murray, everything's there. You can you can look at Jamal Murray; it's all on his sleeve, his leg, his yeah. arm, everything. You can see everything, and and. Um, Someone was saying the other day about, I'd like to see Denver play in a hostile environment next year. I'd like to see them win a game seven on the road next year. And I'm like, are you serious? Jamal Murray would be like, bring yeah, it please. on. Are you totally. kidding me? That totally. Um, that kind of stuff doesn't bother me. So I think that's a false narrative. Last question before we go. I, I felt this way heading into the 2006 finals. And I actually wrote a column about it. Um, before the finals about my biggest fear for that Dallas Miami series was that the officials were going to have too big of a say mm-hmm. one way or the other, because the way Miami was playing, depending on the game that, that year it was like, you could call Wade for you could send the line 17 times or three shacks right. impossible. Right. And in general, the officiating was just really bad that year. And it was like, it feels like this is going to be a real problem. And then it was obviously the biggest, uh, officiating problem they've ever had in the finals. Yes. I feel like we're headed for that in this series because mm-hmm. I think they have lost the ability to figure out two things. And the players have been so good at exploiting it. The first thing is somebody like LeBron, when he's driving to the basket, he's just figured out now, I'm going to lurch into the guy and I'm going to create contact. Right. The guy's going to be moving and technically it's a foul every time. But if you're the defender, it's like, well, what am I supposed to do? Just let him drive by me. LeBron's so strong. He mm-hmm. going to him. Butler does the same thing. Um, so you have these really strong swing guys have figured out how to create contact. Dragic is another one where they, they do the, the stop, you know, coming around a screen, you stop and then you lean into somebody. So that's one piece. And then the second is the three point shooting stuff oh, where I can't you're about it. to shoot a three. Somebody's coming at you. You kick your foot out. You can't stop, you lean your hip in. And I don't think they know what to do with this stuff anymore. I really don't. And it, you could Miami and the Lakers were the two best teams at over and over again in Toronto a little bit too. Right. I feel like it's coming to a head in this series. And I think it's going to be the biggest talking point of the series. What do you think? Uh, I hope you're wrong. I hope you're wrong. But here's the problem, with, especially with the three-point stuff, is this. 
They've already called it a certain way all the way to now. They can't change now. They can't change now. And both coaches know that. Yeah. So they're going to tell their guys. And so let's talk, like, so let's look at the, the roster and who does it the best. I mean, Butler. Miami, Miami does it the best for yeah, three-pointers I mean, that I've like, ever seen. Well, and Drajic, doesn't he just do it for everything? He's like, yeah. he's another guy that every time he goes down, it's like, I'm like, all right, one, two, three. Yep, he grabbed his face. I mean, you know, it just, I have. It's like a soccer player. It's like unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. And it's so hard to watch. Uh, he he really, he really worked Kemba with some of those. Like that first oh, he call sure he got did. on Kemba where yeah. he has Kemba on his hip and he'll stop for a second and then yeah. throw that. Ridiculous. The, yeah. And ridiculous. Kemba was so frustrated, but it's like, this guy's outwitting you. He is. Yeah. Kemba, you know, some, one GM told me when that, when the Celtics got Kemba, I was like, wow, I was surprised they could pull that off. I thought it was going to be great for the culture of the locker room, which all that was true. And, and I like, I mean, I think Kemba's, you know, really fun player to watch. And they said to me, yeah, but he's too small. I'm like, well, I don't know. He was third team all NBA last year. How small is he? And they said, wait till you get to the playoffs. Mm. That's when you're going to really understand why his size is really going to hurt him. And that's why Gordon Hayward again was so important because he had size. And if he was healthy, he could use his size appropriately because the, the Celtics are small. They're small when you look at it. And Kemba, that was one of the things I think you really teams exploited was his, his size or love size in a postseason environment, which I hadn't really got a lot of thought to. Yeah. So you have Hero, Dragic, Butler on the Miami side and Robinson too, who's, you know, he's yeah, not quite figured as, out little tricks, but he's, yeah, he knows he, some he tricks at this point. quite as well. Oh, I love, I love him. So you have Duncan them on Robinson. their side yeah. and then you have, and you have Bam who jumps over everybody's back. He just does it from the beginning yeah. on every rebound. They either call right. it or they don't. And then you have on the Lakers side, you have LeBron who has just mastered this now. Yes, he, he has. He knows yeah. how to get fouls. He works the refs as hard as I think we've ever seen anybody. And then except you for, have except for Mikhail. <laughs> yeah, true. Mikhail's you're right. Mikhail's the one. And then you have Dwight, who's just like a bull in a china shop. And I think every game is going to be one team lobbying the refs afterwards for right. the calls they didn't get. I'm really worried about it. I think it could ruin the series. Well, see, I think in Dwight's case, though, I, for the most part, I thought the refs were pretty good about not falling for it. You know, yeah. like I think Dwight gets no, he doesn't get street cred like LeBron. I mean, LeBron's earned a lot of that cred. You know, I'll be interested to see. Again, with some of these other guys going forward, if you look at the self, like the Lakers roster, who's like, can Kuzma do something, you know, or is that too much to ask? Can Caruso can spot shoot? He can hit some shots, but like, who's a guy that's going to, who's the one that's going to be like, yeah, he gave you something you weren't expecting. Who's that well, guy? And also, what do you do when Miami goes crunch time and they play Dragic and Hero together? with Butler, with Iguodala and Bam, because that's going to be yeah. their closing lineup. And you could hide somebody in Iguodala and hope he doesn't make threes, but you still have to chase around Dragic and Hero, which right. means they're going to have to play two of Caruso, Caruso Pope, Rondo. I, I'm right. guessing it would be Caruso and Rondo. I'm guessing that too. And then Kuzma with LeBron and AD. So now you have Kuzma and Caruso out there in these big yeah. moments. I don't trust either of them to make yeah. a shot. Yeah. Or, or to, def I mean, to defend Caruso is a much better defender than people think, but I Kuzma, agree. yeah, Kuzma's got some holes there. So yeah, that'd be interesting to see. I mean, I'm just really glad that Miami is in the finals. Cause I love, I've loved their run. I've loved yeah. the way they've carried themselves. The way they play the game is so beautiful. I've really enjoyed. And I was glad Denver got their due because man, I could sit all day and watch 
Jokic and Murray run pick and roll with for each other. How many bigs and smalls does that ever happen? So I'm glad those guys got a, a run. And uh, it still feels to me like it's it's LeBron's year and the Lakers year, but maybe I'm wrong. We have to go, but bonus question. What do you expect from Magic Johnson in this series? Because LeBron is basically kind of body, LeBron and Polinka especially, because he threw Polinka under the bus and said Polinka yeah. was undermining him, all that. And this whole Lakers organization seems like they're shoving Magic to the side. And I don't, I don't see him disappearing for two weeks. What happens yeah. with him? I don't know. I've, I'll let you know. I've got, I've been trying to reach him for the last three yeah, days. Yeah, I was going to say, I could see a Jackie back <laughs> magic, magic story about how hurt he is that he's been well, cast aside. But see, he'll never admit that. He'll you don't think so? It. No, I don't I'm think I'm the so. reason LeBron came to LA. I, well, I, but he's going to grab credit like, here somewhere. No, he, Well, yeah, but he'll say, oh, Jeannie and I are fine. We had dinner. We broke bread. We're good. I'm part of the family. This is awesome. Yeah, I still think that'll happen. He, he will be know. heard from. Uh, Jackie, so. this was so much fun to see you. I, it's I know, such a it fun morning fun. talking basketball like, with you. This is uh, like a great thing. Yeah. See, for me, it's like almost time for lunch, Bill. Yeah. All right. Go back. ESPN needs you to put you on 20 shows. So, uh, <laughs> we'll see you soon on this one. <laughs> Thanks. Take care. All right. CC Sabathia is coming up in one second. He joined the ringer recently. He has the R2 C2 podcast, another new podcast. We have Bakari Sellers. He went live after the debate tonight. So if you wanted some awesome, intelligent debate coverage right after the debate, Bakari Sellers, go to that podcast and he is breaking everything down. Wanted to tell you quickly about Best Buy. At Best Buy, you can always count on getting the latest tech at a great price. That's a given. But these days, it's also more important than ever to have safe and convenient options. That's why they make sure you have lots of easy ways to get the tech you need. So whether you choose next day delivery, safe installation, or curbside pickup ready in an hour, you can always count on Best Buy Shop anyway. Never overpay Best Buy. And let's talk about the new FX original series, Fargo. Family, complicated, crime, organized. How about a brand new cast featuring Chris Rock and Jason Schwartzman? FX's Emmy and Golden Globe winning series, Fargo, from creator Noah Hawley. It returns with an all-new installment that explores the complexities of immigration, assimilation, power, what it means to pursue the American dream. Set in 1950s Kansas City, the new installment of Fargo tells the original tale of two criminal syndicates that control an alternate economy of exploitation, corruption, and drugs, striking an unusual peace. And to cement their truce, the heads of the black crime family and Italian mafia agree to a unique gesture of good faith to trading of their youngest sons. But will the agreement last as the attention between the two warring families escalates? Ha! Fargo airs Sundays at 10 p.m. on FX, now streaming FX on Hulu. Let's bring in Cece. All right, we're taping this part of the podcast at 7.45 at night. I made Cece wait until after the debate. I have no thoughts about the debate other than that it was a low moment in American history and I've just never seen anything worse in my life. And I don't think we should talk about it. What I did want to ask you though, is <laughs> if we reelected the MLB commissioner every four years and it was the same process as the presidency, what would people come at Manfred with? Who the the opposing person who's trying to steal the commissioner job? What would be like the three things hmm. they would go at him with? Um, like length of the games, like how long the games are. Yeah, you know, like a, um, maybe like appealing to fans with you know, um, 
like how strict they are with shoes. You know, in the NBA, you can wear whatever color shoes you want and all of that stuff. Guys have been, you know, been crying about that for years, about wanting to show their personality. And they've kind of relifted that restriction the last couple of years with Players Weekend and stuff. And um, But it, it would definitely be, it would probably definitely be the the length of the games, the probably length of the schedule. I bet you somebody would run on like having a 140 game schedule, putting more teams in the playoffs like we do now, like we have this year, um, which was exciting, you know, baseball to see 16 teams in the playoffs and all the games today. So it'll probably be something like that. I think they would also play the card of we are losing to football and basketball. This used to be America's pastime. What happened? What's happened yeah, this century? But- but who can fix that though? Like who uh, who has the answer to, to how do you fix that? Well, that because the ga- <laughs> the games look the same on TV for the last sixty years. You know what I'm saying? Like you can't change the angles with the NFL. You got the camera going on the screen. They change all the angles. You can hear different things with baseball. It's kind of the same shit. It's it's the same view of you with you see the the runner at second base, maybe the shortstop, the pitcher, the catcher, and the hitter. You know what I'm saying? Like what what can you change to to appeal to more fans. I mean, on TV anyway. Well, when you're running for office, you don't really have to elaborate on what you're going to do. <laughs> <laughs> you just have to call out what's wrong and then say, and I'm going to fix that. And when I'm in charge, baseball will be the number one sport again. But not, but not say how you're actually going to do it. Really. Yeah. And, and it really doesn't happen, right? It would be funny to watch these commissioners have to fight. I mean, in the NFL, it would be the best, right? If Goodell had to fight to get his job back every four years because Goodell would have been yeah. the easiest one to take his job. I think the biggest thing in the NFL would somebody could run on would just be guaranteed contracts just to get the owners to to to, uh, to agree on that. Yeah. Shorter length of contracts, but just guarantee guys money, you know? Yeah, the owners would be like, we're getting this person out of here. Uh, ASAP. <laughs> so as you know from, uh, from me coming on your podcast, this has been a rough baseball season for me. They traded my favorite Red Sox player. The Red Sox yes. tanked. I tried not to watch a lot of baseball, but I was in an AL keeper fantasy league. So I knew a lot of, at least I was going to the American league. So then the playoffs start today. We had four games. Mm-hmm. It was really fun to have it back. I got to say. And I was looking at it, my strategy, and I was texting you about who I wanted to bet on, who I'll reveal in a second. My strategy was, this is going to be such a weird playoffs the games in a row, the pitching, who the hell knows, who knows if the arms are going to be stay. You're going to have like, somebody's eight starter decide, deciding an elimination yeah. game, all these things. And I just wanted offense. I wanted like good lineups and maybe a team that had one or two good starters, a couple good relievers, but more importantly, hitters and hitters that could just wear down a team over the course of the series. So I picked the White Sox. The White Sox were 14-1 to win the World Series, plus 650 to win the American League. But that was the type of team I thought would win. They did well today. So did the Yankees or another team like that. Do you agree with that theory to go with the bats? Yeah, I mean, I think so. Just because of how many days you got to play in a row. I think, you know, it's going to be whoever gets hot. And there's so many teams in that it, it can it can literally be anybody. I mean, yeah, the White Sox can run off 9-10 in a row. You run off 9-10 in a row right now, you got a parade at the end of the season. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like... So it's just, it's it's going to be fun to see who can actually do that. And I think, like you said, you're going to have to have uh, some good pitching, but I think you're going to have to be able to create your own off days. Would you, would you be, would, but the schedule the way it is playing every day, uh, you like the, the White Sox need to go and close that series out tomorrow. The Yankees need to go and, and win that series tomorrow, give themselves an off day 
so that they, you know, the relievers can get a day. And, you know, because normally you play two games, day off, and then you got a, you know, a game, maybe day off. So guys are getting more off days. So you, it's up to you. It's up to you now as a team to create those off days, go out and try to, you know, win the series quick and, and get some days off to, to get some rest and maybe even bring your number one starter back earlier in the series if you can get some extra rest, you know? Who else fits that profile? Uh, the Dodgers, obviously. Um, just how deep they are. Tampa. Um, yeah, you like Tampa. I, mean, I really like to I mean, I hate to say that because I am a Yankee, but Tampa's so deep and the, their pitching is so good. And people talk about their offense, but they always find a way to score runs. Yeah. Um, so I think they're going to be really scary in, in this playoffs. Well, the Yankees, the X factor is if they could just keep all their dudes healthy for five weeks. Yeah. Which yeah. they have not been able to do for a couple of years now. But, you know, Judge, Judge and Weber <laughs> being the big ones. But, um, you know, Judge looked good today. Judge he did. I, he did. I mean, and it was one swing. You know what I'm saying? Like, he goes deep the first pitch that he sees. He strikes out the rest of the game. Yeah. But it just changes the game. It, it gets everybody hyped. It changes the whole complex of, I mean, it changes the whole dugout. It, it just, it you know, when the, your big guy goes deep first pitch, off Shane Bieber, who's the best pitcher in the world right now. I mean, you know, besides my, you know, besides our guy, I think, um, you know, it, it just changes the way you feel about, in, you know, playing on the road and, and playing a really good team in, in the Indians. You see um, Ace versus Ace, probably the two best pitchers in the AL, unless you want to throw Mieta. Um, and Cole kills him. He, he yeah. head-to-head just whoops his ass. When you're on the team and that happens and it's like our big gun against your big gun and you knock out the other team's big gun, embarrass them, and then your guy shows up, what does that do? What are the next 24 hours like? It's, it's I mean, you, you feel like you, it's over. You know what I'm saying? I mean, especially just because the Indians were built on what Bieber did this year. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe he'll get some AO MVP votes and, you know, I mean, he got hot, you know, at, at the right, you know, for two months and, um, you know, had a great season. But I, I I was a little worried about him coming into the start. You know what I'm saying? First playoff start, you're pitching against the Yankees. You're coming off the season that you've never had before. Um, I was him in 2007. Same shit. You know, I go into the playoffs, think I got it rolling. I go on the pitch against the Yankees. I give up three runs in five innings. Mm. Wasn't a horrible start, but it just wasn't what we were used to seeing out of me. Um, and I could tell, you know, the guys were just like, damn, this, you know, we we were counting on C to go out there and like shove it, lock it down. We play great. And and it, it, it just, you know, sends you off on a different path. In basketball, the chasm between the regular season and the playoffs, the last, I would say, six, seven years, you really feel it. It's almost like you, whatever you're doing in the regular season, it doesn't sometimes have any correlation to the playoffs and all the things. Mm -hmm. And we've seen it with Milwaukee. We've seen it with Houston, all these different teams. Do you, do, does that, is that the case for pitchers? Is it different to pitch in the playoffs? Is it different for Cole in a game like today versus like if it was just some random game against Baltimore in August? Well, it, it's different for pitchers. I mean, I, you have to have that experience. You have to get out there and, and pitch in those games. There's no... I mean, it's very rare that a guy comes up in his first playoff start and, you know, 
throws a no hitter, uh, Doc, you know, Doc Holiday. But he was already seasoned. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, like I said, I mean, Shane Bieber, this is kind of this is his first time having this Cy Young season. And it wasn't even a a long season. Like he got high for two months. If, right. if we're in a regular season, he's just starting the all-star game now. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like we don't even know if he could pitch down the stretch with that, with that, uh, you know, monkey of I got to win the Cy Young on my back. So, you know, coming into these, this, this playoff start, we didn't know what we were going to get. And, and like I said, the, they were built on him pitching so well, it had to be deflating in that, in that clubhouse to see the Yankees go out and score 12 or 13 runs or whatever they did today. After, that same core, that team, that core, Lindor, Santana, Ramirez, like they blew a 2-0 lead to us in 17. Right. Which is the same guys just came in there and kicked your, kicked in the front door right now in game one. Right. You know, for me, basically, that series is over right, right now. You know what I'm saying? Who, uh, who are you afraid <laughs> of as, as somebody who bleeds that awful color that the Yankees are? <laughs> <laughs> Um, you saying like another team that I'm, I'm afraid yeah, it's of? The a, you're Yankees. the most afraid of Tampa, it seems like. Yeah, I am. I am just because we play them all the time. Um, that's like I said that that pitching's really good. They know how to beat us. Um, and and it's gonna be I think seven five, however long the series is, it's gonna go all the way. I the do end. think that division baseball stuff does become a disadvantage for the better team after a while. I know with the Red Sox. It was it. They eventually became the only team that had any success whatsoever against Rivera, and it was because they were seeing him twenty to twenty five times a year. And mm -hmm. at some point, it's not like they were like crushing him, but it it does help to see the same people over and over again. You know, same way like in basketball, it hurts the Rockets when somebody's playing them seven times in two weeks, and just kind of get used to what they're doing. So I I do think yeah. it evens it out a little bit. Yeah, I mean, and even I think you know. The series that they're playing with, with the Blue Jays is going to be close just because they play each other all the time. Mm. And the Blue Jays are comfortable going down to Tampa and they know how to, you know, move around down there and things like that. So, um, you know, that game was close today. It was, you know, a, a two-run homer away from, you know, that game going to extra innings. So, um, and then the Blue Jays had runners on base and Gritchick hit a line drive. Adonis made a great play. So, I think that series can end up going three games, to be honest, too, just because those teams play each other all the time and, and they're familiar with each other in the same division. Well, the worst loss was Minnesota. Yeah. Who, Dang. Who, you know, they gacked it. They had, they had the force out guy blew it. Then they uh, walk in the go ahead, run the whole thing. But that was their 17th straight playoff loss, which somebody texted me that. And I was like, that can't be true. Man. Seven, and I contributed 17? to a I contributed to a lot of those losses, but now I feel bad. Oh my God. That's, that's horrible. 17 straight playoff losses, man, from division series to, you know, wild card games, everything. I mean, it's, that's rough. And like you said today, I mean, I don't know what, what they need to do. The lineup's good. The pitching's good. Um, just one, you know, ground ball away from, you know, being up one nothing against Houston. And like I told you, like I texted you earlier today, the last thing we need is Houston to start feeling good. Because right. at the end of that game, you can see that dugout coming alive. I mean, if you watch them, just watching them play, they don't look like they're having any fun. Like, they're not smiling. They're not out there joking around. But at the end of that game, you can see them starting to come to life a little bit. And, and, and that'll be trouble for my Yankees or whoever else is in the playoffs right now if they start rolling, for sure. It's so funny. I noticed the same thing. 
because I when Brantley got that hit specifically, all of a sudden they showed the dugout for the first time. The guys looked like they were in the baseball playoffs and that they were yeah. excited and pulling for each other. But the thing, my biggest revelation of the day, other than just not only betting on the White Sox, but just how fun it was to watch him go through that lineup where it's like every guy is at least decent, you know, one after the other. Um, it was so much fun to root against Houston. <laughs> it really is like, I, I never thought I would reach the point in my life where I would root against a team more than the Yankees. And I'm not positive I'm there, but if Houston plays the Yankees in a series, I honestly don't know who I'm going to root for. You have to go with the Yankees, I, right? Do I know? Like, I don't know if it's in me fundamentally. It'd be like rooting for the Lakers. But that, that freaking Astros team, and now Tuve was up, and I was like, oh, please let him strike out. It's so funny if he doesn't come through here. And we, we could just make garbage can jokes, the whole thing. And then he actually, uh, he drew a walk. He got a walk. Yeah. yeah, he drew a walk. But yeah, they're getting a free pass because if it were the playoffs, like imagine them coming into Yankee Stadium, what the fans would be doing to them in October. Yeah, I, that would I mean, be even brutal. Just, yeah, during the season, too. I mean, just just not having to make trips. I mean, even going to Oakland. Oakland's a tough place to play. Those fans are rough. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, just them not having any fans around at all. And they still really didn't have a good year. So we'll see what happens next year when we get the fans back in the parks. Well, they had it. You know, they weren't able to bang on garbage cans this year. It's, it's tough to adjust. <laughs> yeah, they, they didn't know what was coming. <laughs> what you Who, so you like the Dodgers in the NL. Do you have any other team because I, I i've been looking at the padres i didn't love the odds for them but they do fit the profile right they have three really good hitters a couple good pitchers it would be kind of funny if they ended up crossing paths with the dodgers because they're like yeah. the ugly stepbrother of southern california baseball and uh is it them is it somebody else who do you like i like the padres i just don't know if they have enough pitching man yeah um that bull their bullpen is really good but with Clevenger being hurt, I just don't know if they'll be able to to swing enough. I mean, to to pitch enough to be able to. I mean, obviously they're gonna score runs, um, but I just don't know if they'll be able to pitch enough. I, I I told you this earlier. Oddly enough, I like the Cardinals. Yeah, they always find a way to win in these weird situations. You know, they had all the COVID stuff going on early in the year. They shouldn't even be in this position. They shouldn't even made the playoffs. Yeah, with everything that they had going on. And they're still here. They, you, I mean, you got Wainwright, you got Flaherty, you got Yachty, who's been there, you got Dex, who's the world champion, and it's and it's the Cardinals. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like they, they're their organization. They know how to win. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if they made a deep run into this playoffs, man. It, it's, it's it's it really depends on this wild card series because they play the Padres, you know, starting tomorrow. And the Dodgers, they're like prohibitive favorites, and I, I'm just not sure anybody should be prohibitive favorites. With how goofy yeah. this whole system's going to be, you know, I, I, yeah. I don't, I, they're just so deep though, yeah, and 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 so good, and Mookie's locked in, and obviously he's done it for a long time, and they've made deep playoff runs, and he may he may just be the piece they need to get them over the top, you know. I might buy the Mookie T-shirt jersey to support him. Last couple <laughs> rounds, I really I got might. the jersey. I really I bought the jersey. I, man. I just love that guy. I would love it if he won. If he had. I would love it if he won and stuck it to the Red Sox. Although I got to say now that I, I know next year's coming and I, I won't be as mad about the trade and it turned out great for Mookie, but Verdugo was good. Yeah, he is <laughs> he good. Really He's a good was, player. Like the guys He's that got in that player. trade, it wasn't a disaster. It doesn't defend trading a generational superstar. I'll never defend that, but at least the trade itself, it wasn't like some of these trades when, 
you trade somebody and you just get a bunch of bums back. Like when we got Pedro from Montreal and I think we gave up Tony Armas and Carl Pavano and for yeah. it was like 20 cents in the dollar. We got the greatest pitcher of all time <laughs> and they didn't get like an all-star out of it. So it wasn't, I think the trade was a little better than that, but it would be fun to see him in the mix for you. What would be the most fun thing about this super weird bubble situation with 28 man teams and everybody chipping in just like, let's say it's older version of you when you're more of a leader, what, what were the, what were the kind of stuff you would be concentrating on over these next five weeks? Um, just making sure that we all kind of locked in. I mean, you know, um, especially during the playoffs, you know, you own business trips. Um, you know, you want to make sure that, that you just, everybody's locked in on their routine. The hardest thing with the playoffs is like everybody's family's traveling. You know, you got different people on the plane. You got, you know, everybody at the hotels, different stuff going on. You're trying to figure out tickets. So that gets a little, uh, hard, but as, as a vet, you just want to make sure everybody's locked into their routine. Everybody's feeling good. Everybody's, you know, got all their stuff locked down so that they can just go out and concentrate on playing baseball. Do you, do you worry that this isn't going to work and it's not going to go very well and we're going to have a the bubble? Yeah, and a great reckoning at the end of this playoffs because I think it definitely worked for basketball. Football, at least so far, <laughs> it's felt like football. And baseball had this goofy season and I'm not sure how seriously people are taking these playoffs and they're showing the leaders today and it's like Lou Voigt was our home run leader with 22. Yeah. And it's like, all right, this is stupid. Come on. What are we, <laughs> what are we doing? But uh, if this doesn't work, I wonder what the next steps are and, and whether this leads to finally some real change in the sport. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what this has to work. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't, I don't know it, it, what the, what the alternative is. I mean, obviously expanding the playoffs and, and making it more exciting trying to get more viewership, but um, this bubble situation, you know, the second round being in, in I think it's San Diego, LA, and in, in Texas, um, you know, uh, hopefully they can, they can, and by them playing every day, I feel like people will get more locked in too. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? People, you know, people, if, if it's every day, people will be more excited about, you know, the Yankees playing every day or the Padres playing every day and, you know, them getting to see their team. So, um, you know, hopefully this drive more viewership to the sport and, and, you know, get more people back excited about, about the game. I don't know what you do long-term. Would you want to see the playoffs expanded like this? If we play 162 games, would you want to see 16 teams get in like teams under 500 and you know, you know what I'm saying? Like what, what are we going to do about the playoffs going forward? I would not have more than like 140 games, which I know is a no go because of all the money they make from the attendance. But I just think the season's too long. Like, mm -hmm. here's the thing. Things change, you know? Think about how different mm -hmm. the world is since it was in 2000. You know, yeah. when we, you, you had to had dial in internet and all the other million, hundred, kajillion, we had no social media yet. And things evolve, things change, things get faster. And at some point, you got to adapt a little bit. And these, I, I feel the same way about basketball. Like, even these stupid reviews that they're having every playoff game, they don't work they slow the game down. It makes the ending just fucking disjointed. Mm -hmm. And I don't really understand the upside at all. And we're sitting there as that, you know, this awesome game. And then it's like, hold on, we're going to review this, whether it was a blocker or a charge for four minutes. <laughs> it's like, what are we doing? It's 2020. Nobody wants this. So with baseball, like I do wonder with all the injuries pitchers have had, 
Um, is there is there an eventually move to make it seven innings or eight innings? I I think you could say eight innings pretty realistically for games. Yeah, and maybe that's I how mean, you do 162. You have doubleheaders, something like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I like the seven inning doubleheaders to be honest. Yeah. Um, if you move it to 140 games and you play seven inning doubleheaders on on Sundays and you get Monday off, you know what I'm saying? Right. Or, you know every. Um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be mad at that. If we, if you went to 140 games, I would want to see expanded playoffs, though. I agree. I would want to see the playoffs like this. Yeah. You know, where it's more, it's more action. You know, I mean, obviously, it's more teams. Um, it's more fun down the stretch. Like that last day, it was eight different scenarios where, you know, this team had to lose for this guy, for these guys to get in. I think that makes it more exciting for the sport. Um I mean, yeah, I wouldn't be mad at 140 games. Well, for me, for me, the season's way too long. I, I always said, that. and I feel the same about about basketball. I would go 72 max. Mm. Get rid of the last 10, and I and try to do more stuff like that. That bubble elimination game Portland and Memphis had. You think about it. That was like a, ultimately a completely completely meaningless game, right? The yeah, winner yeah. got the right to get their asses kicked by the Lakers. But guess what? That was a really fun game. And I thought it was a really valuable game for certain guys in the court. Like for John Morant, that's a real playoff game that he played in. You know, even though it was a quote-unquote playoff game, that was valuable for him. And it was enjoyable for us. We got to watch it. I would want more of that and less of these like dog days of August baseball games and dog days Mm -hmm. of, you know, February, March. Plus in basketball, you have eight or nine teams by the two-thirds mark are just done. They're out. So I would rather get out of the season faster and get to the good stuff, which I think baseball, that should be the same goal, you know? That's true. August sucks, man, for baseball. Like, it, it really is because it's after the All-Star break. Yeah. So you ju- you get back, and then you're just waiting for the playoff race. Like, the games, they, they matter, but they don't really matter yet. So it's not really that intense. And I mean, everybody's just kind of waiting for September anyway. Well, and from it's, a weather it's, it's standpoint, a weird, it's a weird period. It's it's so hot. Well, so. yeah, it's it's so hot, but then you get to October and you have the most meaningful games anyone's playing, and it's in some cases it's freezing cold. Yeah, and it's like, well, why, you know why what, would we do though, it that way? For me, though, it, I always like that was like for me to turn it back on. Like beginning of the year, you know, it's going to be cold. You heat up during the summer, mm. get your numbers, and then. You know, we put the sleeves back on when it's time to when it's time to go so to work. So you like I, 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 I really enjoy like the weather change. You're pitching in October, you know, back in the cold weather. I, I really did. I don't know. It was a weird thing. It was just like almost like I'm going to work now. You know what I'm saying? Like this is what I'm here for. And you know, you put on that put on those sleeves. It's football weather. Go out and play. It's bizarre for the fans. I'll tell you that much. I've been to a lot of big Red Sox games where it was just freezing cold and like the 2018 World Series. We're all wearing sweatshirts and those hats with the flaps for your ears and mittens. We're like, okay. Meanwhile, the, we can bar- barely make noise because all everybody's hands are covered. Everybody's just drunk because they're freezing. And yeah. it's like, ah, this is kind of fun. But at the same time, these are the biggest games of the year. I'm trying to think what uh, 2010, we played Texas. And... Um, I had never, I was, I, you know, it's the playoffs now. So I'm thinking it's going to, it's like cold weather. Yeah. We get down to Arlington, it's fucking 90 degrees game <laughs> game one. I was on the mound oh dying. God. Like I hadn't, hadn't pitched in that weather in like six, eight weeks. You know right. what I'm saying? And, and like, 
I remember just getting out there like, holy shit, this is this is gonna be rough because I was not ready for the hot weather uh, in October. That I was I was definitely that was that threw me off for sure. So you have Tampa Dodgers as your safe pick, and Cardinals. Card, uh, Yan- I'm sorry, Yankees Dodgers is your safe pick. Yankees Dodgers is my safe. And Tampa and Cardinals, Tampa is, your, Cardinals. is, your, is your wacky one. Yeah. Okay. Tampa Cardinals. I mean, we could see that though. Like that'd be that'd be. I mean, we could that could easily happen. The most fun for the league would be Yankees Dodgers. Yeah, for sure. I would imagine. Uh, the most fun for the league anytime would be Yankees yeah, Dodgers, though. That's good. You know, and and that's what I feel like we got robbed of at 17 is as Yankee Dodgers. Because that would have been a classic. That would have been good. 17 was that that was the year the Astros cheated. Oh no, that was yeah. the they cheated for three years in a row. My bad. Well, but that was that started it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take a break to talk about ZipRecruiter. When it comes to scoring great hires for your business, you may be up against some obstacles like lots of applicants, but difficulty finding the right ones for your job or finding time to hire while running your business, plus trying to ensure workplace safety. Look, that's why you need ZipRecruiter on your team. No matter the industry, healthcare, to manufacturing, to business services, ZipRecruiter makes hiring faster and easier. Now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com BS. First, when you post a job on ZipRecruiter, it gets sent out to over 100 top job sites. Then ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology hustles for you to find people with the right experience for your job and invites them to apply. In fact, check out the stat. Four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter to get a quality candidate within the first day. Add ZipRecruiter to your roster to help you win the hiring game. Try ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. Once again, ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Let's talk basketball really quick. Your guy, LeBron, he can smell it now. Yeah. He's four wins away. It's over. It's, it's been set up perfectly for him. I picked Miami at six earlier in this podcast. I think they win in six. I think I love the matchup for them. Make the case for LeBron James runs them over like a freight train. Everybody keeps telling me that they like Miami in this, in this matchup. Because they're and good. I, I, don't, I don't see it at all. And... and especially when you get down to like this, when it's just you in the finals and, and it's LeBron and like Jimmy Butler said, it's like, this is like the final test. He's like the final boss. Like if you want to win a championship, you got to go through this man. And the way he's playing right now, you know, ending the game with those last six buckets at, at the end of the, at the end of the game against uh, the Nuggets. Yeah. Um, he's healthy. AD's playing well. Rondo's locked in. I, I just don't see. I don't see this going past five games. See what you're saying right now is why Miami is going to win because it's a whole team of chip on their shoulder guys. And there, Jimmy Butler right now is listening to this podcast, being like, "Fucking CC, I thought he was my friend. I'm going to show that, him. I mean, I'm showing that, him. All that shit. All that shit sounds good, but I just got to be rational. Like LeBron is playing lights out right now, and when he's playing like this, and defensively, like for him to pick up Jamal Murray at the end of the game the other night, like. Mm. Come on, man. This guy's playing. He's on another fucking planet right now. So Jimmy Butler's going to have to score. Tyler Hero's going to have to score 47 tonight for him, <laughs> for him to win this series, man, which he can do. They have a he lot of guys that, to throw but... at him, though. They throw yeah. Butler. They throw Crowder. A little Iguodala. You can put Bam on him if AD's out of the game. Um, mm. I think AD is the one that Miami doesn't really have a, an answer for other than Bam. Because we might see Myers Leonard in this series, you know, but it's like when they go a little smaller and if they can get Bam in any sort of foul trouble in any of these games, which the Celtics weren't able to do, 
then, yeah. it, then it becomes tough. But I think it's going to be a long series. I, I really think this Miami team's good. You go 12-3 and three in the playoffs, and you take down a Boston team when they didn't really play well in the first five games. They didn't shoot that well. They just kind of pulled them out in the quiet. And then game six, they played great. But uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's a team that doesn't necessarily have to play well to hang around, which is an annoying team to play in the playoffs. So I think it's a yeah. good long series. I, I I mean I hope I hope you're right. I, I want to see a, I want to see a good series. I just I just don't I don't know. I mean, we'll have to see. What is it? I, I, Miami's tough, you know. And I want to see Bam and AD. I want I think that's gonna be a great matchup. Um, you know, so two two super big athletic bigs. I think it's gonna be fun to watch. But I don't know, man. I just think LeBron is is the X factor in every finals, and the way he's playing right now, it's gonna be it's gonna be tough to beat him. What it what is you have no no stakes in this. You're you're a baseball guy, but you mm -hmm. watch basketball during this year that we're having, and four black head coaches get canned during the offseason, including Doc Rivers, who was the most important black coach they had. Now, he won three playoff series in seven years. At some point, you are who you are with the results and all that stuff. But you you would think like, here's a league that's seventy five percent black, and yet the number of black head coaches seem to be going down every year. Um, it doesn't make sense to me. Does it make sense to you? Uh, yeah, yes and no. I mean, coaches get hired to get fired, obviously. Um, and, and if you're not producing, if you're not winning, um, yeah, I mean, like you said, he won three playoff series in seven years. You know, Doc will be coaching somewhere again pretty really soon, though. You know, and Ty Lue will be back coaching pretty really soon. So, um, the thing about the NBA is is there's always opportunities for those guys. Yep. I feel like in the other leagues, main, baseball, I mean, you you get Dusty Baker, get it, you know, get his name thrown in there all the time because he's a great manager. But other than that, you know, there's not that many opportunities out there. NFL, you know, a guy will get an interview and you hear about, you know, Airbnb is supposed to be the next great head coach. You know, he's the offensive coordinator for the Chiefs, but, you know, he'll get a, a token interview and then they'll hire somebody else. In the NBA, those jobs come back around all the time where these guys will get rehired. And, you know, like I said, Doc will be coaching somewhere. Ty Lue will be coaching somewhere. Jay Kidd will be coaching soon. So um, there's always those opportunities in, in the NBA for those guys. I think Doc's going to end up in Philly. I don't know what the Clippers are going to do. I was told today they are figuring it out. I, I thought when they got rid of Doc. All they right, had they somebody had already figured out. Yeah, I don't think they do. I think they're trying to figure yeah. it out. I think they need to figure it out. I, I mean, I'm not mad at them moving on from Doc. Um, I'm not either. It's, I, it was a tough year to do it, though. And I, I do think, like, what he meant in the league and to other coaches, you know, I think him and Popovich are the really the two the two guys out of all the coaches. Yeah. And so he kind of needs to be on another team. So hopefully he will be. There's, like, six openings you, still. So You think he'll be able to help? I don't think anybody can help Philly. Like I, I mean, I don't think I don't think Philly can be helped. I think you gotta you gotta get those two away from each other. Like the, that shit is never gonna work. That's how I feel too. But it would have been a fun Phil Jackson twenty five years ago experiment, right? This is the kind of yeah. thing Phil Jackson would have lived for. It'd be like, it, I I can make this work. I just read the Shaq Kobe book that Jeff Perlman wrote. I mean, I knew all this stuff. I just hadn't thought about it in a while. Like just how bad it was for those two guys. <laughs> yeah, those two and were bad. Phil Jackson made it work, but it was really week to week where you're you're not. Like in baseball, I'm sure you were on teams where two guys didn't like each other. But in basketball, when your two best guys don't like each other, 
it's really hard to to rebound from that. In baseball, you can be like, all right, we can with twenty five guys. We can figure this yeah. out. Yeah, basketball, you can't. You're, you're kind of yeah. You're kind of uh, a prisoner of, the, of that relationship. Well, especially when it's Kobe and Shaq. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, these are not just two of the best. These are not just two best players on your team. These two are the best players ever right. to play. And if these, like, if they can't get along, then obviously it's going to split the team down the middle. It's going to be guys, go, you know, that, that agree with Shaq. It's going to be guys that agree with Kobe. It just seemed like their beef was always about, like, I feel like if, if Shaq worked as hard as Kobe, they wouldn't have had no beef. Right. That's like, that's that. You know what I'm saying? Like if 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 the work ethic was there, I feel like the, like Kobe would have just left everything everything alone. So I think that was what happened. That the end part, the last third. What, what I didn't realize with the book was the the initial part that got them off the wrong foot was Kobe came in, kind of like this is my team now, and Shaq was one of the biggest stars of the league. He's like, who the fuck are you? You're 19. <laughs> You're not even starting yet. What are you doing? And just from the get-go, there was this territory pull. Were you ever on a team where two of the stars, you don't have to say who the stars were. It would be funny if you did, but did you, were you ever on a team where two stars had a territory battle like that? Nah, no, not like that. Not at all. Um, Nah, I mean, on those early Indians teams, it was, it was, you know, two of the bigger guys kind of had a, had a thing, but it wasn't, it wasn't anything where, you know, outside looking in, you can notice, right. you know what I'm saying? Like, it was just something small. And like you said, in baseball, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's not like hoop where you depend on somebody else. Baseball is like an individual team sport, if that makes sense, where right. if I just do my job, show up and do my part, like, fuck everything else. Like, I can just, I can navigate it. But in basketball, like, you need somebody to pass you the ball. You need guys to help you on defense. Like, you need other things. You know, you need your teammates more in hoop, I feel like. When I was a kid, I used to read, like, every sports book. I was, like, I was just, like, a maniac. And Sparky Lau wrote that book, The Bronx Zoo. It was, like, this mm -hmm. tell-all behind the scenes about the Yankees. I think it was the 77 team, maybe the 78 team. And they had an excerpt of it in Sport Magazine. And it was all, like, just what a dick Reggie Jackson was. And <laughs> Thurman Munson and Reggie Jackson almost fighting in the locker room. And I remember reading it and like, honestly, my head almost exploded. I was like, I, <laughs> these guys are like my baseball cards and just guys I'm watching on TV. And I, I idolized Fred Lynn and I, I had no idea like they would ever have any kind of tension at all. And you're reading any this, you're like, you're like, what? He called him a fucking asshole? Like, I just, <laughs> like stroke. And I, I love, I love, because I'm close with Gator. Yeah. So I love hearing Gator's stories. I, I, I honestly feel like I probably should have played on those teams. Like, oh, you would have loved it. I feel like I'm a 70s baseball player for sure. <laughs> and, I play, and I definitely should have played on those teams. Just hearing Gator and like Reggie. And I didn't know Thurman gave Reggie Mr. October. He was the one that gave him that name. Right. After a game, he was like, I guess they wanted to come talk to him after a game, and Thurman didn't feel like it because they it always went to him because he's a captain. And I guess Reggie had a good game. It was like October 1st or 2nd. He was like, I don't know. Go. I, he was like, I, I, he said, I didn't have a good game. Go talk to Mr. October down there. And it, like, stuck. I, I had no idea that he was the one that named him that. It's funny because that's still the craziest team just to follow from afar, I think, of my lifetime. And it's a team that if... All that stuff was happening now in this era that we're oh, in. People would, people would have a stroke. But you had, because not only did you have all the personalities on the team, 
But then you had this Billy Martin Steinbrenner. Yeah, Billy Steinbrenner Martin. was basically Trump before Trump. It was he was like <laughs> yeah. Trump in training wheels, and just him and Billy Martin. And Billy Martin was just this crazy drunk. He ended up fighting one of his players once, and uh, I. It, nobody ever did the right, like, awesome documentary about that. People tried nah, different but things. The, but the Bronx is Burning was good, though. The book was great. Yeah. Oh, they, the, the, the show thing. they did on ESPN, though. It was pretty good. You like that? Yeah, I did. I mean, because I didn't know. I never read the book, and I didn't know anything else. You know, I didn't know anything else other than just watching that. So, like, talking to Mickey Rivers and talking to Gator and all those dudes, they was like, yeah, I mean, that— that was pretty accurate. Like they didn't show a lot of the crazy shit that we did, but they showed, you know, they showed enough of it. So I mean, what was the craziest team of your gener of your whole era? Like, you mean that I played no, with, no, or just like in just general. that that I heard? Um, some of those those Tiger teams with like Dimitri Young and Robert Fick and Bobby Higginson. Oh, really? Jared, Jared Weaver. Those dudes were wild, bro. Those dudes, they had they had some wild teams. Those are probably the, like the more legendary teams that I heard about. Really, like wild, um, like they were arguing in the clubhouse, or they were partying, or what were they doing? Partying, like oh. just off the field, off the field, um, on the field, like fighting and and stuff like that. Um, I'm trying to think because I remember there was a Red Sox team the year we had Carl Everett, and what was that? I think it was 2008. 2000. Oh, 2000. Oh, 2000. And uh. It's just like one of those years everything went wrong. And I, I was actually at the game when Carl Everett headbutted the umpire. Yeah, I remember that. Which was a weird vibe in the crowd. It was kind of one of those, oh, no. Did he? You saw that too, right? That was a headbutt, right? It was like really, really crazy. But so we've had like kind of like depressing dark Red Sox teams, but I don't ever remember yeah. having like a crazy... I guess the closest nah. were the 0304 teams, which were really fun teams. Yeah, but. they were they were fun teams though. Yeah. I mean They're with fun, Johnny fun and Millar. Yeah. And then so I played with Trot in 07 the year when he came to uh Cleveland. And I feel like that team was kind of like took on his personality. We were like, we were wild and we were young, we were really good. Um, but I never I never really played on any any like crazy teams or or it really even had I've only seen like teammates fight a couple times. You know what I'm saying? Like it, had, it like I for for the most part been playing with playing on some pretty good teams. But uh, before we go football, I know you're watching. You're yes. like me. You're watching everything. Does the Sunday everything. football has been fantastic? What's uh what's jumped out to you the most? What have you enjoyed as a fan? Um, all of it really. Um, the lack of tackling has been crazy just because the guys <laughs> didn't play preseason. It's been a fucking joke. How about that Kamara oh, touchdown? <laughs> Oh my! It's like watching like it's like watching Big Ten or like a college football. Right. It's like these guys cannot tackle. Um, but it, I mean, it's been fun to watch just just up and down. But another thing too is like we talked about this earlier on, on on my pod with Russell Wilson. He's having a great season. He's a great player. But like I'm I'm tired of hearing about he didn't have an MVP vote and all that shit. Patrick Mahomes, if he stays on what he, the course that he's going on right now, is the MVP of this fucking league. This guy's throwing fucking jump, no-look passes. Like, the level of, like, the talent in his play and where he's at right now. Like, I understand Russ never got an MVP vote, but Patrick Mahomes is, like, a another fucking, he's on another planet, man. And Andy, with Andy reading that offense, like, they, the, the other day, that Monday night, they, they, they faked a screen on both ends and then threw a screen to the tight end. 
Right. He faked the screen to the right, faked the screen to the left, and then threw a screen to the tight end. Like the level of like trickery and the plays that they have, like Andy Reid is just is just a genius, man. So I don't see them being stopped anytime soon. And I'm and I'm tired of hearing about Russell Wilson for MVP. Sorry. I'm with you. We slept on Mahomes. And I'm mad at myself because I like the Ravens on Monday night. I watched the first two Chiefs game. I didn't I didn't like how they looked. What I didn't realize was they it was a fucking rope dope, those dicks. They it was a rope. They rope doped us. <laughs> And those very, they, didn't play, they didn't use any plays no, that they used on Monday they night. No, no trickery. They they weren't sending their receivers deep because they didn't want probably didn't want those guys to pull their muscles or do whatever. So everything was short. They only unleashed Hill a couple times. And in that game, they were like, "All right, <laughs> let's go, receivers. They, they, you're um, going Hardman. You're going flying down. Hill, you're going to go they, that uh, way. We're going to do a double <laughs> screen. Like they pulled out all the tricks. I was so mad. I was like, "Oh, you duped me." <laughs> Uh, and then and Lamar, and Lamar Jackson, but he's a great player. He just doesn't have Andy Reid. Mm. If he had, I mean, and, and and they do a good job for what he can do. They run the ball. They, you know, they try to do whatever they can. But he needs he needs like a a play caller like Andy Reid or somebody that can design an offense like that. The problem that can, with Lamar you know, is like, especially if you bet on him or if you're rooting for him, it does feel like when they're down. 14 or down 10. Oh, it's like, oh man, over. this sucks. Yeah, I don't feel like yeah, they can nah. come back. It's like, they're almost like the Rockets. Like, we have our system. Oh, wait, we have to audible out of this for this whatever shit. Well, what do we do? Whereas, like, the Chiefs, you know, I, I'm mad. I should have seen it coming. The, no, the, the Chiefs can do whatever. They can do whatever you need. They can run the ball. They got uh, the rookie from LSU now. I mean, that kid's Clyde. unbelievable. He's running up. Yeah, Clyde's a beast. Um, I mean, they obviously they can they can uh, throw the ball all over the yard, but man, that they're they're on another level. And I and I think the Ravens are there too. And I lo- I love Lamar. I just think they need to they need to figure out a better scheme offensively. Um, well, the scariest thing running so much. The scariest thing would be if Baltimore really was the second best team in the league. Yeah, and then Kansas City just destroyed them. It's probably a bad sign <laughs> yeah. for the yeah. season. And for, and for my Raiders too. Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> you, you know, you you had some bad luck in that game. You had a couple of dumb injuries. You had a bad fumble yeah. at one point. That was a bad fumble. With all that said, I don't think Gruden totally trusts your QB, and you could feel no. it in the game. Like watching that really carefully as a Patriots fan, especially on third downs. They were just really careful in a way that didn't make sense, especially when they were behind. Now they didn't have rugs. Yeah. didn't have rugs. I get it, but no. But it's almost like the same thing, like you said with Baltimore. Like if we get down by like a touchdown or even ten points, it's almost like we don't have anything that can. We don't have any. We don't have a game plan that can come back from this because Gruden won't let uh, Carr throw the ball more than eight yards. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like we have no. Well, it's dinking we Nothing it's like that we can throw. It's dink and dunk. So we have nothing that can get the ball down the field in a hurry. So once we get down 10 points, once we get down two scores, the game's over. But, How was it here in Vegas the, the first three weeks? Vegas Raiders, Vegas, third down for Vegas. Uh, you know what? I'm used to it. Okay. I, I got used to it. Long as, like I said, as long as the, it's the Raiders and same colors and, you know, I'm never going to go anywhere. So I'm used to it. I'm, I'm excited, man. I can't wait to get to the stadium and, like, get Looks to good. Vegas yeah. and, like, be a part of like all the culture and shit. You know, I'm I'm so so into it. Like I'm, I'm such a huge fan that I just can't wait to like be around everything. I'm I'm excited for it. Part of me wonders if they should have said Nevada Raiders instead of Vegas Raiders. Instead of Vegas Raiders. Nevada Raiders sounds kind of I don't know 
more sinister. Yeah. It's like the Nevada Raiders yeah. are coming. Nevada uh -oh. Raiders. Look out for these guys. <laughs> uh, they have some good players, though. I mean, I thought the Mac trade was the dumbest trade in a while. And the guys they got out of it, you can't argue with it. Like, they got Josh Jacobs out of the trade. He's fantastic. Yeah, so, he is. But I, I still, you know, I mean, it was it's still rough to trade Khalil Mack at that time. I would hope I mean, so. Yeah, but, you know, we got Crosby now. You know, the defense is getting better. Uh, Jonathan Abrams is good. Arnett, I really like. That's something that we haven't had in a long time is, is a good defense or, you know, guys that can get off the field on third down. We didn't do it good on Sunday, but the first two weeks we did a good job of that. And I was, you know, something I'm proud of as a Raider fan because we never see that ever. Well, there's going to be, at least with the extra playoff team, there will be a nine and seven playoff team. So they have a chance. So For we'll sure. see. All right. Sure. Worst of luck to your Yankees. Um, unless they play <laughs> the Astros. Uh, Enjoy my annoying text during the playoffs. And, uh, and, Listen to R2C2. How, what are you doing? Yes, Thursdays? Sir. We are Thursday, every All right. Thursday. And we'll, we'll bring you back on at some point. But worst of luck For unless sure. you're playing the Astros. Good to see you. <laughs> <laughs> thanks. All right. Thanks to Jackie and thanks to CC. Don't forget to check out the Ringer NBA's big live podcast right after game one of the finals, as well as me on Ryan Rosilla's podcast right after the finals. Double barreled action reactions. Don't forget about Bakari Sellers podcast coming off the debate. I hope you listen to that one right after you finish this one. And one last thing, the rewatchables, the archive is moving to Spotify. It will still be available on all platforms for, uh, you know, the last three months of, of pods. But if you want to get the old ones or the older ones or anything older than, I don't know, three months, it's on Spotify and that's it. So, um, I love the Spotify app. It's great. I love controlling the speeds on it, all that stuff. You can check them out there. They're all in order based on when we taped. And there you go. So we'll be back on this pod on Thursday. And if you miss me, you can listen to me on Rosillo's pod on Wednesday. See you there.